spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans, for the fans. There's a chill in the air, and that only means one thing. Gumbo on the stove, bonfires, and fall football in Acadiana. Welcome to Rage Interview. Matt Miguez, Jerry Bear, Man About Town, Josh Jogno. Plenty to talk about tonight. We will wrap the dominating win over App State. We will talk about App State's game with Coastal on Wednesday. We will talk about how the Cajuns are finally getting some respect in the top 25 six games into the year. Napier's not going to Baton Rouge. And we're going to have coffee at Cajun Field next Saturday. Once again, welcome to Rage and Review. Matt Miguez. Jerry Bear, a man about town, Josh Jagmo, Jagno, excuse me. Gentlemen, good evening. Hello. Good evening. Sounds like we have a, a new guest host tonight, Jagmo. What was it? Uh, I, I don't know what I said. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it was Jagmo, but we you know what, whatever. <laughs> your, your name will be what I say it'll be anyways. So let's let's do this. Let's do final thoughts on App State. Uh, obviously, forty-one to thirteen. We we had our post game reaction. I mean, not much else to say about this. We dominated App State. I mean, gave them the worst perf- worst loss that they have endured as a member of the Sun Belt Conference. Um, and you know the 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 great thing from our perspective is I think the Cajuns finally figured it out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Tuesday night was the first complete game we had played all year. Agreed. So, I mean, I, I think finally, you know, the the identity question that we brought up, you know, last week or the week before, I don't know if it's been fully figured out, but I think I think they I think you made a big leap forward in, in figuring that out last Tuesday against App. Well, doing it once is. Nice because we hadn't seen it to this point, but it's still one for six. So hopefully that's the team that's going to be here to stay for the rest of the year. Uh, but I mean, they got to go out and prove it on Thursday. And anybody who thinks this is a sleep, uh, you can a game you can sleep through, they're just wrong. I know Arkansas State's not the best team, and I know they're one in five, but they've played some pretty stiff competition, and their offense is explosive. So we better be ready to play on Thursday. Yeah, one thing I know Billy Napier is talking about is every game counts now, like really, really counts, um, you know, and and, deter- and really depending on what happens on Wednesday night between Coastal and App, it could be to a point where the Cajuns control their own destiny. Look, going back to App real quick, Cajuns played the, to their full potential. I think that was the most impressive win in the Billy Napier era. I'll even say that was better than Iowa State. Um, you know, you gave App State a loss that they've never experienced before as in the Sun Belt. 28-point deficit, worst loss um, since they've been in our conference. And you beat them at their own game. Um, App is really good at the line of scrimmage. They beat you in the trenches. The Cajuns did just that. And App had no way to respond. Add into the fact that Chase Bryce, 
massive, massive arm, great quarterback. And, I mean, he was throwing off of his back foot, it seemed like, every other play. Levi Lewis took him to school. Um, I thought the offensive line played the best game of the year by far. They allowed for a, a massive rushing attack between Johnson, Smith, and Bailey. And then they also gave passing lanes, or they opened up passing lanes for Levi to do something we haven't seen all season on a consistent basis, and that's make quick decisions and throw down the middle. Add that in, take away the one interception, this team was on the verge of scoring 50 points. Not very often does that give up give up that type of offensive production. And so it was just a great win overall. I thought the atmosphere at Cajun Field was fantastic. And um, no, it was just a great win. And, and, and like you said, Josh, you don't want to take Arkansas State lightly. But on, on the other hand, if the Cajuns found their niche on Tuesday night, this can be a fun second half of the year. Um, every game is winnable now. We saw what happened to Liberty against ULM. So it's kind of like Duke on Rocky Four, right? When Rocky's boxing, Rocky, uh, he cuts he cuts the Russian, right? He's not a machine. He's a man. It's kind of what it reminds me of with Liberty. So the Cajuns control their own destiny from here on out, and I'm very excited to see what they can do on good, Thursday night in Jonesboro. Good God almighty, what ULM did to Liberty. I mean, I yeah, know I it. I can't wait to talk about the health of the 32-point underdogs. I know man. it was only yeah. a three-point game. But, man, I would almost venture to say dominating performance by ULM. Well, in the, in the second half, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, for sure. 28 points, 28 unanswered, I believe, in the third quarter. Yeah. And wow. um, they held their own. And, and one thing they did, they exposed um, Malik. What's his last name? Malik I'm drawing Willis. a blank. Malik Willis. Yeah, they exposed him. I mean, they made him a one-man show to the yep. point where – now, ULM gave everybody else film on what to do against him and how to contain their offense. Hey, we needed it because we've got them in a month. So we, we yeah. definitely we definitely needed it. You know, b- before we leave the subject of App State, Wednesday night in Boone, North Carolina, is a humongous game, not only for the Sun Belt, but it's a huge game for the Cajuns. That they're not even playing in. Exactly, exactly. But it's a huge game for the Cajuns because this game – will more than likely, actually, I take that back, this game will decide, A, who you play in the Sunbelt Conference Championship game, and B, where you play it. Because if Coastal beats App, and then we beat Arkansas State on Thursday, no doubt about it, December 4th, we'll be in Myrtle Beach. However, if App wins, and then we take care of business against Arkansas State. That doesn't seal our fate as hosting the conference championship game, but it takes a, our, our chances take a big leap forward. Well, I'll say this. We got half the season still to play. ULM showed, just like you guys were saying, anybody can fall at any time. Having said that, this is the game. This is the hurdle that they have to clear, meaning COVID Carolina. I love where this game falls. App State comes to Lafayette, gets their ass kicked. They're licking their wounds. They go back home. They have to look at each other in the mirror. They got to look at themselves in the mirror, look at each other in the locker room. They're going to have to figure some things out, and they're going to have to improve in a hurry. Coastal hasn't played anybody all year. They're off a bye week, and they're in Boone. I think the spread was – I think it opened up as a one-point favorite, and it's moved to Coastal three, a three-point favorite. You know, 
that, that tells me what Vegas thinks about Coastal. It tells me what Vegas thinks about App State's ability to rebound. And it goes a long way, like you said, Matt, it goes a long way to determining who's going to play for the Eastern Division champion uh, championship. I, personally, I don't care who we play in the Sun Belt Championship. I just want it in Lafayette. There's a lot of people that they want to look at the rankings and they want to say, uh, we want Coastal to win out so we could play a top 10 team. None of that matters, dude. Their strength of schedule is ass. Coastal's a four-point favorite. So Coastal four, so it's moved to four. Well, the Coastal is they have not played anybody. Their strength of schedule is terrible. They are they have no chance of cracking the top ten because when it comes down to the CFP and when they start really debating who is worthy and look at their strength of schedule and their strength of win and oh dude they'll drop they'll drop from where they're at right now. That's correct, especially when you know later in the season when the SEC starts figuring its way out and the Big Ten starts losing some games and shifting their way around. Look. Coastal has no chance to be an actual top 10 team. It's just not going to happen. The only G5 representative that has a chance to play in the playoff, and that's not even a sealed deal, is Cincinnati. After that, the New Year's Six uh, Bowl of, you know, representative, it's not going to be Coastal. It's going to be somebody like SMU, or it's going to be somebody like even BYU still in the top 25. Coastal cannot overcome good wins from other G5 teams. So I'm saying all that to say, don't root for freaking Coastal to beat App State just because you want to play a highly ranked team. That's not going to matter later. If App goes and beats Coastal in Boone, and we're actually in a better position from a ranking standpoint, because Coastal will fall out of the top 25. They won't even get freaking votes after they play App State. And if they get their ass kicked and get exposed, like we know that they're fraudulent, Oh, the, the voters will not look kindly upon that. So this is a huge game for a lot of different reasons. We still have a long way to go in the season, but don't get blinded by that number next to the COVID Carolina beats chickens name. They are fraudulent. Their strength of schedule is a joke and it's not going to matter when it all shakes out. Well, just take a look, take a look at, take a look at who they've played, how they've played. You know, they struggled against the Buffalo team that had to come back down 16 and kick a field goal to beat Ohio, the same team that we beat by 35 with, you know, sleepwalking, okay? I think the reality is in this game is that we're going to find out what Coastal really has. We're going to really see what type of team they have. They have to go to Boone. They're playing a App State team that does not lose consecutive games often, if ever. And, again, you're going to play in a hostile environment that's going to really determine who really controls the, the Sunbelt Eastern Division. So, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I know it's safe to say that pretty much all of Cajun Nation, and I know I'm sure there's a few app fans listening in, um, we are rooting hard for you, uh, Mountaineer Nation. Um, we will be the biggest app fans come Wednesday night. Please do us a favor. Don't let that game last week determine what you do. I have seen some app fans on Twitter freaking out about what happened last week. It's one game, okay? We've bounced back from it. When we've lost to you in the past, we've turned it around. Focus on Coastal, expose them for the fraudulent team that they are, and get your behinds back here December 4th so we can have a rematch at Cajun Field for the Sunbelt Conference Championship. The COVID Carolina AstroClear Beach Chickens. They suck. Anyways, Cajun's getting votes in the top 25. I think the number was 18 uh, from, from this latest poll. I think it's very promising um, to maybe crack the top 25 with a win this week, depending on how the rest of the country shakes up. Um, 
I mean, obviously that App State game did wonders for us in the eyes of the top 25. However, that's another thing, though. If if Coastal goes and gets their ass kicked by App, it makes our win look even more even impressive. Better, right. And and for people who really care about rankings, and look, I care too because it's great uh, advertising for the university. But win the next couple of games that you're supposed to win and then beat Liberty, and you will be ranked. Yep. Bottom, bottom line, you will be ranked at that point. No question. And what also it. what also helps us is you look at the parity in the top twenty five. You look at the parity in college football. There's only two or three really legitimate undefeated teams left. You've seen some of these teams in the preseason top twenty five. You look at their rankings and you look where they are now. I mean, we're we're in good shape. I think if you see more upsets, you see more teams with losses to teams to inferior competition. That gives us a shot to move hey, up. Um, I'm, I'm, there's I'm, so much parity. I'm gonna tell you this: talking about college football as a whole right now. Do not be surprised if last year's Peach Bowl game is a playoff semifinal. Georgia and Cincinnati. Those t- Georgia and Cincinnati, call this a hot take if you want. In my God-honest opinion, they are one and two for a reason right now. They are the two best teams in the country. Georgia I think Alabama is, is still the best team in the country. Georgia is scary. Yeah. I think their schedule is a little bit misleading. Cincinnati is scary. Yeah, look, I'll be honest. I'm a big G5 guy, obviously. I don't think Cincinnati is very good. <laughs> I, think, I think that they're a great G5 team. I think that they are a very good team overall, but I don't think that they're a top five team. Not even after what they did in Notre Dame? I don't think Notre Dame's a top 25 team. Yeah, I'm not, I don't think Notre Dame is, you know, I know they're hyped, but I, I just think right now, if you look at... I think the, the Indiana win was more impressive than the Notre Dame win for Cincinnati. But even if you look at, like, in the SEC right now, you look at some of the parity in the SEC, the Kentuckys and some of these surprise teams that have shown up, I'm curious to see, and I hate to sound like an SEC fan when I say this, but I am curious to see what Cincinnati can do with an SEC schedule, how would they compete against a Tennessee? How would they compete against uh, even an LSU, right? Or, or an Auburn, what they would do. And I think they would win most of them. I think Cincinnati would win all three of those games right now. I think, I think that maybe would compete with the middle tier SEC teams and and win those games. I agree. I do think that, uh, so, I mean, they competed with Georgia last year. I mean, that that was something. Okay. Another example is going into a shootout against an Ole Miss offense, right? That would be a fun game to watch. I would actually, you know, that would be that would be a fun matchup. Another thing that needs to be said, though, is the AAC is down this year. So how does that play into later on when the CFP is meeting and their goofy little silly meetings that they have, which is total bullshit? But how does that play in? Are they going to penalize Cincinnati? You know, let's just say it comes down to do we put an SEC team in that has a loss or two over a Cincinnati team who has a couple of top 25 wins, but their league wasn't as good as it has been in the past. Like I'm interested to see how they're going to try to screw Cincinnati out of the CFP. Well, they did it last year. Remember when Cincinnati was sitting with an undefeated record and a bye in December and, and Florida, who I think was like number three or number four lost to a three and five LSU team. And yet Florida because they lost to the three and five team and Cincinnati was off that week, still they ranked them ahead of Cincinnati. So, uh, you know, that's, you know, we've talked about this before, Josh, 
What frustrates me about the CFP, and look, I love the playoff system, but to me, I feel it would be more fair to go back to the BCS formula of ranking teams within the CFP instead of having random people going, well, I think this team and this team and this team need to be ranked here. Yeah. I think if you have more of an algorithm or a computer, a computerized ranking that plays into the CFP, you wouldn't have teams like Florida who lose to three and five teams jump an undefeated Cincinnati. Yeah, there's way I think too that's much human fair. element, way too much yeah. bias involved. I hate it. I hate it. You know, as much as I agree with you, I, I liked I liked the computerized model, especially with a playoff mindset. You combine the two, I think that's a great idea. However, people these days are gonna sit there and say, Oh, well, you know, the computer was was rigged. You know, they, they, they fixed well, Matt, it up. We're, we're using, are you using Dominion over there? I mean, what, are we rigging it now? What's you, going on? You all, you're always going to hear, oh, well, it was biased towards, you know, Alabama or, you know, whoever. You're never well, going to com- get away from that. Compared to the human element where they can just pick and choose? I mean, maybe not as much, but that's, it's that's still going to be there. About. I mean, it's, and that's, that's why the argument to me, the argument should be, there should be a seat at the table for every FBS conference champion. Yep. I don't, you know, if you want to have a couple of at-large opportunities, fine. But every conference champion in the FBS should have a seat at the damn table. What sport out there doesn't, though, besides football? There's I not mean, another hell, sport in, in America... In, Look in at the dance and ranks. basketball. They, they let everybody in the damn thing, and it's the, it's the best postseason that we have. Well, pretty much every postseason out there has a conference champion that is allowed in the major tournament or the big tournament, right? Except for football. Um, I told I told know, somebody this. Is, I told somebody this recently. Ditch bowl games altogether. Sixty fourteen playoff. Well, so I know that that's never going to happen because of the safety issue, the length of the season, the the risk involved, and look, there's so much money tied up in bowls. You're, you're probably never going to get rid of the bowl system. Um, I think that you can do a happy median, though. I mean, why can't you have all conference? How many conferences do we have? Nine, eight, ten? Um, Eleven. No, 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 no. Five. Is, um, that's um, ten. It's P5 ten. And, G- yeah, ten. and G5. And then independence. Yeah, ten plus independence. So that's why you so do a 12-team playoff like they've, you know, said that they were going to do. Put all the conference champions and then have two at-larges. I mean, why can that not work? They're going to say two at-larges isn't enough. Well, you got to start somewhere. You got to start. Make it 16. Who gives a shit? I mean, mean, I'll give you an example. So you can do, you can actually do both. I would say, you know, 12 to 16 teams, kind of like FCS does, right? The best teams get a buy. And then the rest just do bowl games. You know, New Orleans Bowl, Boca Raton Bowl, the Bowling Mobile, right? They don't have to be playoff games, but you have a postseason, postseason game for teams that don't get into the playoff. And then you have the 16 playoff where you have your New Year's Day bowls, Capital One Bowl, and Sugar Bowl and Rose Bowl, combine those into uh, the playoffs. And so, and then you rotate it like you're doing now, right? The New Year's Six, you rotate the bowls amongst the, the, um, the playoff games, and then maybe you have one or two that rotate out. Yeah, I like, I like that idea. I mean, sure. there's no I mean, plus, we have to scrap the entire freaking structure of it. You just need to, first of all, there's way too many damn bowl games, and <laughs> the, the yeah. market's just saturated with bowl games, and it's just gotten out of hand. Yeah, no, no, there, 
there's definitely a lot that can be be fixed with the playoff model. Um, I, I don't think that's old news to anybody. Josh, you know, one thing I know that you were excited to talk about is the health of the Sunbelt Conference. Um, obviously, ULM beating Liberty, Louisiana getting the big win over App, stuff with the American, which we'll get into, you know, here in a little bit. But, uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on the, on the Sunbelt? Well, the conference realignment portion is just a small part. You know, obviously with everybody running around with, you know, their hair on fire trying to get into a new conference and move conferences and all this stuff, it feels good to be in a stable situation or what at least feels like a stable situation in the Sun Belt where we're actively making smart, calculated moves and the AAC is doing basically the opposite of that. CUSA is hiring Bob Delaney to go out and try to, convince other conferences to do a, a, a geographical realignment. That's, <laughs> that's going to help them and hurt everybody else. You know, it seems like the SB, the, the, the Sunbelt conference is the only conference in the G five. That's not completely in disarray. So that's one part. The second part is the product on the field, man. I mean, look, ULM beats Liberty. Nobody saw that coming. And that was a huge story across college sports this whole week, this whole weekend, uh, Louisiana and app state, not necessarily the game, but, I mean, that, that, that is kind of becoming like a marquee game on the schedule. I mean, you could look across all platforms, social media and otherwise. People were excited to watch that game. It, it, it's a game that has some buildup, and that's, that's something that we've developed over time. So that's a great thing. Coastal Carolina, as much as you hate the bastards, and they are fraudulent, don't get me wrong, but having their name and, and that number attached to their name Saturday in, Saturday out, the Sunbelt Conference constantly being talked about how it's a, it's an up-and-coming up league because of the, the recent success of an app of a Louisiana, of a Coastal. I mean, all of those things are so positive, especially in a time of realignment, TV negotiations, uh, you know, some things that we don't even know that are going to happen just yet. So I just kind of want to talk to you guys more about how it is good to be in a healthy situation with regard to our league and football, the sport that drives the bus is really performing. And, and another team I didn't really, really mention was, I mean, look at what South Alabama just went out and did. I mean, what a performance that was on a, on a weekday game where the eyes of the nation were on them. Texas state, a really good win. And they've been really competitive over the last couple of weeks. They started kind of shaky, but you know, we have been waiting for that Jake Spavital moment to kind of start to take hold. And we thought he was a good coach. We, we, we thought a lot of his processes would work. Maybe it's starting to happen. We've been saying for three years, look out for Texas state. Here they come. Watch out. Maybe it's kind of starting to finally come to fruition, but the, the ceiling of the Sun Belt has risen and it's happened really dramatically over the last month. And ULM, look, I don't hate ULM. I, ULM doesn't mean shit to me. They're in the same state as us. Who cares? They're not a rival. They don't, they don't threaten me whatsoever. Having them not be terrible is a great thing for this league. I mean, can you point at one team in this league right now that is just dreadful? I, anybody? Mm, I'd probably say Texas State at the moment, but they have potential. I think Spavitol can turn it around. Look at the wins that they just pull, pulled off the last couple of, last couple of weeks. State. I mean – 
They need to break the barrier of being bowl eligible. They need to break the barrier. Of oh, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, that, but that's, you, can, you, know, you, can, you can go over to Cusa right now and find three or four just dreadful teams. Southern Miss is dreadful. I couldn't watch mm-hmm. 10 minutes of that game. They're a terrible football team. Yeah, Old Dominion. Look, I'm looking at their schedule. I'm looking at the CUSA standings. One, two, three, four teams out of 10 only have one win so far. Um, I mean, it's, it's, you know, the, the really the one school that's really carrying their weight or the man, they got two schools carrying their weight or UTSA. UTEP and UTEP. And U, yep. That's right. Teams that are, don't schools. really traditionally win. Um, and look, I got to tip my hat off to UTSA. You know, of course we all remember them from the first responders bowl and beating them last year, but they're sitting with a seven and old record in the top 25 ranking. I mean, I tip my hat off to UTSA for pulling that off. Um, but if that's, but if UTSA, who is pretty much the new kid on the block, if they're carrying your conference. Now, this isn't like App State or Georgia Southern that has decades of history. UTSA just started their football program a decade ago, and they're carrying your conference. Think about that for a second. Yeah, it kind of, kind of all I'm saying is, where they're at. All I'm saying is don't forget who daddy is. <laughs> North, North Texas. That's a good point. North Texas was the cream of the crop for the Sun Belt when the Sun Belt first came into existence earlier in the 2000s. They're sitting at a one in five record. Southern Miss was the G5, the first real G5 program. They're struggling right now. Um, struggling is, is a very nice way to say it. They it's are, a nice way to say it. They are freaking terrible. But it's a compliment. But but I do think it's a compliment to the Sun Belt because the Sun Belt, even though they have their fair share of struggling teams. It's nowhere near where CUSA is right now. Um, you've got three teams in, in the Sun Belt between the Cajuns, App, and Coastal that are pretty much the, the darlings um, of the conference to where they're all capable of being in the top 25. Um, you know, as much as we hate to admit it, it's still a good thing when Coastal Carolina is in the top 25 because it gives the conference notoriety. And now the Cajuns are getting votes. I mean, t- t- 10 years ago, just to even have a team get votes in the top 25 was a huge accomplishment for the Sun Belt. Now you have in the past, what, three or four years, you've had four different teams that have been in the top. No, five different teams. Say Troy, UL, Coastal, App. Yeah, four teams. You've had four teams in the past three or four Uh, years that have been in the top 25. I don't think Georgia Southern's been in the top 25. I don't think Uh, they've been in the top 25. But Troy has, and so has App. But that's four teams. I mean, that's look, that's mad respect. That's mad respect. So, so staying, staying somewhat on this topic, let's go to realignment. And obviously, obviously the big news today is that the American athletic conference is expected to receive applications from six schools. And the, the heavy majority is that they are expected to accept all six. The following schools are Charlotte, Florida Atlantic, North Texas, Rice, UAB, and UTSA. This puts the American, after getting rid of Cincinnati, Memphis, Houston, and UCF. UCF. That was the four. Well, Memphis is still there. Memphis is still there, but Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati are Who are the four that are leaving? Uh, BYU left, but they're they're uh, an independent. They're going from independent, but oh, okay. but Memphis and SMU are formality. They're they're, they're waiting for the phone call. Yes, they're waiting for the next realignment from from the Big Twelve. There they're was another the another article again today about the Mountain West going after a team from Texas. We know who the hell that is. SMU. So 
This would put the American at 14 teams. Does this fix the American's desperation, I guess would be the word? What what this does is make the AAC CUSA 2.0. Right. And I'll let, I'll let Jerry take it from there. But, I mean, look, if you look at it, it is literally the same game this plan. Makes, this makes the American CUSA and this makes CUSA die. Dead, yes. Well, let's let's break it down even more. What value do these teams bring as far as winning traditions outside of UAB? I mean, FAU isn't doing much. Um, I mean, Charlotte just started their football program Markets, what, baby. five years ago. Markets, baby. Um, let's just you know. Let's talk about it. Uh, UTSA is is doing okay. They're doing a good job right now. I'll give them credit. Um, but then North Texas hasn't done much as of recent. They they haven't really competed. They've been to a few bowl games, but nothing special. And the last team is Rice. What, what, I mean, so so Charlotte, Boca, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Birmingham. That's the answer. Well, You've got it's, six it's, markets. But here's the thing, and I've talked about this when Rick Jones came on our interview when I, on our podcast, and I asked him, I said, they're going, Mike Oresco is going back to the same strategy that he, that, that the conference realignment, the, he went to the same strategy as the conference realignment strategy 10 years ago, going after the markets. Well, the reality is the TV markets don't mean as much now because now you're starting to include streaming. Of course And on don't. top of that, you're trying to include winning tradition. And, and that's why what, and that's why in five years the Americans are gonna die just like Cusa did. You I mean, you're replacing Cincinnati, the number two team in the country. You're replacing UCF, who pretty much in the last few years, outside of this year, has been a top ten program. You, Houston has been a top ten program, went to the final four. You're replacing them with Rice and Charlotte. How do you expect your conference to maintain its its status quo? If all you're doing is going after markets and with teams that really don't have winning traditions. All I'm going to say is this, and Josh, I'll let you make your whatever comment you have after I say this, because it's the only thing I need to say. If I'm Brian Maggard, I am sitting my ass on Reinhardt Drive and waiting for a call from Bowlesby in the Big 12. I mean, honestly, why not just dream bigger? Because I have zero interest as a fan and supporter of this university. I have zero interest in going to an American conference with those six teams in it and those other five or six teams that we discussed earlier out of it. I, 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 like, I, have, I do not want to be associated with those. If, if it's going to be a market-based conference, I'm out. We've got history that tells us that it cannot last. It, it will not thrive. Are you really going to sit here and tell me, we'll use Georgia State because we're familiar with Georgia State. Are you going to tell me that because Georgia State is in a big city, they deserve to be in a better conference than where they're at right now? They can't draw flies to their football games. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Remember what Rick Jones said about how if he were president, he would uh, uh, nominate a historian so they don't do the same thing over and over again? That's what they're doing. That's exactly Um, what's happening. And really, what's what's ironic is um, it makes sense of why Judy McLeod went to the American to try to combine conferences from CUSA because, look, that's six teams that are gone from CUSA plus 
poss- a possibility of two to four teams from the Sun Belt. If the Sun Belt decides to go out, look, Southern Miss, the fan base, they're dying to come to the Sun Belt. Marshall fans have shown interest in coming to the Sun Belt. Now it's up to the presidents, but if Marshall and Southern Miss leave, plus those six schools apply and all get into the American Conference, the Conference USA goes from 14 members to six. And it's six members that are really spread out all the way from Old Dominion to Middle Tennessee to Western Kentucky to Ruston, Louisiana to El Paso, Texas. So, oh, to Miami, Florida, too. Of course, FIU would be in the conference as well. So the yeah, question is. Yeah, can't forget is, about FIU, you know, that what, vaunted what's team their, over there. So, what does, so really, what does Conference USA do? What, do they have to get a travel partner in New Mexico State? With they, have go they, go, they have to go FCS. They have to go FCS. I mean, they're going to have to go Missouri State, yeah. Jacksonville State, Liberty, maybe. Right. Where do they go? What do they do next? To me, the only answer is there's not enough independence to fill to backfill the conference. Liberty is not going Cusa. I'm gonna tell you that right now. Well, they're gonna have to look. Cusa needs they need members. I mean, regardless if it's Liberty or Jacksonville State or whoever, Cusa's gonna have to go FCS because if I'm Liberty, I'm turning down that phone call. James Madison. I mean, I don't know. I that, that I just know that they have six teams spread all the way from Miami to Virginia, all the way to El Paso, Texas. Liberty so, Liberty can sit as an independent for two more years, and then come join either the Sun Belt, the American, if they wanted to. Maybe even an outside shot at the ACC if they keep having success. Now that might make some sense, but you got to think about this, Matt. Depending on the language in the college football playoff expansion independents may not have an opportunity to play for a national championship if they're not highly ranked. Would Kusa, though? Well, it's the best G5 champion, right? That's how it's worded now. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's going to play a role because that's where the big money is going to end up being, is going to be in the college football playoff. And you see, here's another thing added on to that. Also, too, Kusa is going to be in the same position as the Sun Belt was 10 years ago, but the difference is that Carl Benson took traditional – winning programs from the FCS level in Georgia Southern in App State. Two teams that have won national title after national title. Now, if they take a chance, if Cusa takes a cha- chance with James Madison, what other program can they go get that has that sort of, of, of level of success at the FCS level to be able to compensate? I just, I don't know. I don't see it. If I'm Judy, I'm going to the Jackrabbits in South Dakota, and I'm going to the North Dakota teams, and I'm saying can't do it, can't do it. The the travel, the the, the travel is too hard. I would say yeah. I would typically say yes, but at the same time, like, what kind of a TV contract can we negotiate? Because at some point, we got to get off of Facebook Live. But that's just that's just not working. But they've got to be able to travel. Maybe you know, maybe these Kusa programs play. Um, in a different conference for soccer, baseball, you know, those kind of things. But football-wise, you got to go find traditional powers in football, and it's going to have to be FCS. I mean, do you, do you go talk to go, – go back in the Texas market, go grab a Sam Houston maybe? I mean, it's a, that's still a good I mean, market. It's a huge now granted, market. I'm just going to be honest. As a, as a Cajuns fan, I'm loving this right now. It's oh, ironic. Hell, yeah. The karma couldn't be any more fitting. And, and of course, the people aren't the fans up in Ruston right now. Uh, they're, they're so out of it. They don't, they're so oblivious to everything that's happening right now. They still think they're getting a phone call from the American Conference, yeah, which the, we know that's not happening. But the delusion has been ratcheted up to un, unprecedented levels, even from Ruston. Look, you, you, want, you want to talk 
you want to be arrogant? You you think that you know you're too good for the Sun Belt? Well, guess what? You're you're now you're in a conference with a bunch. You're basically in the Southland Conference 2.0. When you add James Madison and 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 Sam Houston and and add New Mexico State, who was a team that the Sun Belt kicked out, by the way. Hey, have fun. <laughs> this, is have it fun. amazing where that's we're what at. you want? Well, I mean, <laughs> that's but amazing. that's but you see, here's the thing. Now, I, I know we don't really talk on the political side of the competency alignment because we're, we're not Keith Gill, we're not commissioners, but look, they've burned so many bridges with the Sunbelt Conference, and honestly, they would be a good fit, but they've burned so many bridges that I don't know if they would get the votes to allow them into the Sunbelt Conference. If I'm T-Joe, I would be like, look, politically, I have to vote yes, but that doesn't stop you uh, Georgia State, Georgia Southern, uh, Texas State. This Troy, doesn't stop you Arkansas guys State. from saying no. So, like, you know, on the cool, let's just keep these bastards out. But I got to say yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, crazy, you know, crazy quickly, times. While, while we're talking, you know, from a political standpoint, obviously we're not going to get too political, and I don't want to get too political on this topic either. Washington State's head coach. I'm currently drawing a blank on his name. Um, Nick something, correct? Anybody know? Call me flat-footed on that one. Uh, the last thing, Chris Peterson retired and then this guy took over or something like that? Yeah, well... Oh, no, 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 no. You said Washington State, not Washington. Washington State, yeah. Um, I have no idea. God, I, I, gotta, I gotta find it. I gotta find it. I gotta find it. I gotta find it. Okay. Um, hold Nick Rolovic. Thank you. Arolovich. Yeah. Washington State has fired head coach Nick Rolovich and his unvaccinated assistant coaches. Your thoughts? Sick. Oof. So supposedly yeah, they, supposedly they, Washington State has a vaccine mandate and, you know, obviously college football coaches, you're a state employee. He refused to get vaccinated. So they got fired because they didn't get vaccinated. Correct. What is the record of the team? Uh, wazoo. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's probably not undefeated or five and one. Three and yeah. two. Three and two. Yeah, no, they're, they're yeah, they're three and two. I don't think winning. Them. Four and three. I'm sorry. Four and three. Misread that. Still four winning. So winning. That's a winning mark. And in, in, in Washington, at Washington State, that's not exactly a Washington easy thing State's, to do. Washington State's back 12, are they not? Yeah, they are, but I mean, they've they've historically been kind of a bottom feeder. I mean, they've had a couple right. of nice years li- recently, but uh, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, so I'll, he, I'll let... he, as well as four assistants, ha- have been fired for refusing to get vaccinated just you know five days before their matchup with BYU. Wow, uh, Jay, you want to go on that? Again, I don't want to get too political, but I felt like it was something we should we should talk about. Well, it's uh, look, man, regardless of which side you're on with this, it's very much unprecedented times. Right. We've never seen something like this before in our lifetime outside of like the uh, probably the polio vaccine back in the 1940s and 50s. A lot of uh, baby boomers can remember that. But for us, this is the first time in our in our lifetimes where we've had to get a shot, you know, And, and, and it's regardless of where you stand on it, it's very unprecedented because, you know, I've never heard of that before where a coach has been fired for not getting a vaccine. Now, I'm not going to say if I agree with it or not, but I'm just going to leave it at the fact that it's very unprecedented times that we've gotten to this point. 
Um, and so it's going to be interesting to, to see uh, where where this goes, how, how this moves forward in bringing up these type of topics as far as like the sporting world, being able to approach that. Because look, at the end of the day, like you said, Matt, they are state employees. So they're under certain state mandates. They're under certain state rules. I mean, I guess they can try to force a lawsuit. I don't know. But it's it's very this this is a very intriguing topic because it's something we've I at least I've never seen before. Very interesting. Yeah, it it is interesting. I'll say this: um, when I started in the public school system at five years old, I was required to be vaccinated. When I served in the military and worked for the Department of Defense, I was required to have certain vaccinations. Um, requiring vaccines is not unprecedented because it's happened for a hundred plus years in this country. I think that when you start firing people for not making a choice that they're basically being forced to make, uh, I think you, you get into some trouble there. I think that the reason why the most polarized topics, no matter what part of the spectrum you're from, the most polarized topics, most polarizing topics are the topics where each side has a legitimate point is it kind of overreach to force people to get certain vaccinations? There's probably merit to that. Is it smart to probably get vaccinated against a disease that is causing all these different complications in an unprecedented time? Yeah. I think that there's some legitimacy to that as well. Do I agree with the firing? Well, I mean, that's, I think that when you have a mandate like that and you are a state employee, like for example, I couldn't have, I couldn't have been in the Air Force and then quit the Air Force because I didn't want to take a shot. At the end of the day, I had to take the damn shot. So getting fired over it, oh, man, that's tough. But um, Well, that's, that's what I mean by unprecedented, right? We've never, I've never heard of a coach. That's never happened before in the sporting world as from what I can remember. Because you're right. I mean, look, I remember getting shots as a kid, right? Traveling overseas or going somewhere, getting going to pre-K or kindergarten to certain school systems or whatever. But in this particular case, um, Josh, I know and you being a military veteran, I know you guys had a lot of uh, the, uh, the doctor checkups you had to do. But in this particular case, I say it's unprecedented because I've never heard of a story like that before. A coach getting fired over not getting a shot. Yeah. That's, that's very you're, new. You know? You're right about that. And so the thing is, like, I use the military for an example because I have personal experience. When you sign on the dotted line, you're basically saying, look, I'm agreeing to do whatever you tell me, essentially. Mm-hmm. When you become a state employee, I think that I think that that commitment's a little bit softer. Like, yeah, this is a job, but at the same time, you know, I can I can quit this job and go do another job. It's a little differently. It's a little bit different. But what I would say is that when when those coaches become state employees prior to COVID, in no world did they ever imagine that this kind of scenario present itself. So it's it's one of those things where. Yeah, I told you that I would let you do basically or I would do whatever you told me to do. But at the same time, this was in a pre-COVID world and maybe I'm not 100 percent on board with the vaccination. And some people have legitimate reasons why they don't want to be vaccinated. I mean, we can go into that. That's a whole other topic. But do the, the fundamental belief that you can just force me to get a vaccine? Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I think that's a little bit overstepped. I think that that is a little bit too far where you're going to tell somebody that they can no longer work for you because they won't get vaccinated. But 
I understand the other side of it. That's the thing. That's we won't, we, we need to come to, together as a society and have that conversation right now. Everybody's just retreating to their corner. Like we always do, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, too dude, much I mean, of that. Way too much of that. Nobody wants to sit down and have a conversation. It's either I'm right. You're wrong. Correct. You disagree with me. You're this or that. Well, no, nothing's going to get solved like that. Yep. Nothing's going to get solved like that. Well, maybe that, this guy's just a, a the latest example of somebody being made an example of. Well, that yeah. got that got way deeper than I ever wanted it to. <laughs> but you know, it it is what it is. <laughs> it, 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 I I agree with you, Josh. It's a conversation that you know, like like you said, we as a society probably need to have. Well, yeah. yeah, what we what was dangerous about this from day freaking one is that we politicized it. Yep. From day one, it got politicized, and you you cannot go back and retrieve an actual conversation are coming to the table to solve any problems once people make it political. And it, that's what happened. And now you got guys losing their, all they want to do is show up and coach football. And now they can't even do that because, you know, say lovey. The political views of Matthew Miguez, Joshua Jagno and Gerald E. A. Bear do not in any way reflect the views of Rage Interview LLC. Uh, oh, by the way, Gerald P. A. Bear. My bad. My fault. I thought it's all good. Name. You're uh, I, I, I'm joking. I'm joking. All good. Let's talk about the purple and puke. Hey, Edo is gonzo. The end of this season, Edo's run will not return as head coach of LSU. He will be paid his $17 million buyout. All I'm saying is that if somebody wanted to pay me $17 million to never show up to work again. Okay. <laughs> Like he, who, he didn't look too upset in that press conference yesterday, which I thought was weird to begin with. That press I mean, conference was strange. The whole the whole thing is weird. It's like it's like <laughs> having it's like having a wife and being like, "Look, I know we're married, but at the end of this year, we're gonna get a divorce." And which, it's are so you cool funny. With like, it's are so you funny. Cool, are you cool with still coming to like you know my work events and our Christmas party? Can you still come with me to make me look good? Is that all right? Right. What kind right, of because, weird shit are we because, doing here? So uh, so the 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 separation agreement between LSU and Ed Ogeron supposedly was mutual. It always is, isn't it? Supposedly was mutual. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Ed Ogeron is going to be paid his $17 million buyout. He will receive a $5 million payment in December. He will receive a $1 million payment the following June. And then he Poor will guy. receive 750000 Every December and June until 2025. He needs a hug right now. On top Poor of, guy. on top of payments to, I don't know. There, there's some weird clause in his contract that he's also going to receive a million dollars next January. Oh, no, I don't know. That's terrible. That's that's terrible. Edo is winning right now. Is all I'm going to say. Anyway, it's going to be. It's going to be. Okay, I find it. Yet. I it's find it hilarious okay. that Josh brought up the. We're going to be married, but at the end of the year, we're going to get a divorce thing because that's been Edo's downfall because, you know, a lot of things that I'm reading on social media is that obviously his on the on the field performance of LSU plays into this, right? There, there's no doubt about that, but I, I've read a lot that says basically what the deciding factor has been is the fact that he has brought multiple girlfriends with children to practices 
and letting those children participate in practice drills. Yeah, and he hit, he hit on the wife of a state administrator who called Woodward. So there's that. I'm just trying to visualize like Ty Davis Price doing a running back like cone drill and some little six or seven year old running behind him on the cone drill. Like I'm just trying to. And, and I'm, and I'm going to say this. A lot of people. That's hilarious. A, a lot of people are, are trying to say that, you know, that's not a big deal. That happens all the time. Look, I get it. There's a time and a place for that. Before practice, after practice, you know, you want to invite the kids, let them, let them run some drills with the players. You know, that's all fine and dandy. Because these kids look up to these players, you know. I get it. That's awesome. You don't do it smack dab in the middle of a practice in the middle of the week. You just don't. And supposedly that's when it was happening. I think that when you're losing and people want you out, the little bitty stories that really are kind of like, help you know harmless whatever you can write that up and make it sound 10 times worse than it actually was i think that when you're winning that's charming when you're losing it's detrimental so i don't know dude i mean look the fact that he's hitting on state administrators wives at a gas station is way more troubling and the fact that he's covering up sexual assault allegations is way more troubling and the fact that the players basically quit on him, yeah. way more troubling. And apparently than, yeah. so did the coaches. Yeah, yeah. So that's way more troubling than, you know, some eight-year-old doing an Oklahoma drill with with, <laughs> with the players. You know what I mean? I, I, that doesn't bother me at all. It's just so Baton Rouge, all of this. It's so on went brand. A, went, went a national championship 21 months ago and then fire the guy and humiliate him on the way out. It, it's just so Baton yeah, Rouge. So back, back to the separation agreement. He can't. He has an 18-month non-compete. He cannot be a coach of any kind in the SEC for the next 18 months. And you ready for this? He has to appear at one public event a year for the next yeah. four years as a representative of LSU. That's that's what I was saying. Like, So, look, I know we're going to get divorced, but can right. you show up with you me? You still got to show up to my game? Christmas party. Yeah, right. can we... Can we pretend like we didn't all the way get divorced? Like, are you cool with that? It's it's hysterical. These people are fucking bizarre, dude. It's hysterical. But the reason that I bring up Baton Rouge is because now, you know, obviously the news is out that Ed O'Gerald is not going to return. So the storyline is, who's replacing him? And obviously the names that you will always hear are getting thrown around. Oh, Jimbo Fisher's coming back to Baton Rouge. Wrong. Oh, Lane Kiffin wants it. Wrong. Why would Lane Kiffin leave Ole Miss to go to LSU? That's like that's like leaving the North Side Walmart to go to the South Side Walmart. Right. It's the same thing. Right. But um, the, the problem is, is that LSU people think that their job is a top five job in the country. And it's freaking and it's just not. not. It's not. You know, I, Josh, you and I were talking about this. I was listening to 1420 this afternoon. And one of their longtime callers, he, he seems to call in every single day, um, went on this rant about how this was the beginning of the end for LSU. And he started talking about how LSU fans, like you just said, think that their head coaching opportunity is a prime opportunity, you know, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's going to want it. And it's just not true. They haven't recruited well the last three years. 
they don't have, you know, this great slew of coaching staff anymore. Nobody don't don't even get me started on LSU boosters. Nobody wants to go to Baton Rouge, Louisiana and deal with the problems that are currently in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. They just I, I don't. Think, I think what, what's plaguing them right now, because look, I'm going to respectfully disagree. Look, everything as far as the job, everything is there. They've got a ridiculous budget. They've got, you know, a huge stadium. They've got the resources to they, they've be able also, to compete for they, national they, titles. They, they also have boosters that control everything with cutthroat expectations. But on the other hand, they also are going to pay a $7 million. Here's, here, here's your contract, sir. Here's your news. But here's, here's the thing. And this is, this is, bear with me here. The thing about the LSU job is the fact that, like I said, they have everything there. They've got the resources. They've got the money. They've got the fan base. They've got, they've got, they pretty much got everything in place for a coach to be able to succeed. And you have to try at a school like that to not be as successful. Now, this is where, but this is where right now the perception takes a turn downhill. I just read an article that they, since Ed Ogeron has been the coach there since 2016, there have been nine complaints filed of sexual assault against players. They've got Title IX lawsuits pending. They've got the FBI investigating the basketball program. They've got administrators. Les Miles got fired at another school, at another school for what he did at LSU. Hey, That's, that's what makes it unattractive. Because who's going to want to have to do the damage control? Now, hey, Ex- by the, well, rebuild our program, but by the way... Exactly my point. Up. Nobody with a right mind, especially Lane Kiffin, Jimbo Fisher, hell, I'd even go as far to say Dan Mullet. Nobody is leaving the situations that they are currently in to go deal with that. I don't now, care. On the other hand... I don't care what kind of budget you have. I don't care what kind of 100,000-seat stadium you have. It's Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and it's nothing but bullshit. But here's why I say I disagree. This is where I think, this is where I think, here's the thing. Coaches in general, not all of them, but there's going to be one or two coaches who are going to just take the job because they want the challenge, and they like the $7 million base salary, right? It's a pretty good salary. $7 million a year is not bad, plus your bonuses. I think Ed Ogeron was making nine after the championship season, so he's set for life with his buyout. There's going to be some coaches who are going to take the challenge, and they're going to they're going to say, you know what? In spite of all this, I want I want to I want to see what I can do with this, and then I'll be able to. Oh, and by the way, I'll be able to fix this, and once I fix this, we'll be back to where we were before. You're going to have one or two coaches that do that, but again, I, it's not going to be easy though. It's not going to be easy, and it, I, look, you may have a coach that takes it and tries to take the challenge and ends up failing more and putting them in more disarray. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I agree that a coach will take the challenge. I just don't agree that it's going to be a top five or 10 coach in America. I don't know. LSU is going to have to dig. Do you guys not remember when they hired Ed Ogeron, the, the coaching search that they went oh, through? Yeah. They got they, told they no swore, several times. They swore it was Jimbo. Jimbo's not leaving. Why Texas would he? A&M. Why would he's he? Making, he's making ten million a he's year. Make, Why would he go? He, he's he's the third highest paid coach in America. He's got freaking Kyle Field. I mean, that is one of the most beautiful. 
not not even sports stadiums, just one of the most beautiful pieces of architecture. Well, the support, the money, they have everything. I'll just, you want to I'll talk just about a ready built, a ready oh, built dude, a college station I'll is just, where it's at. I'll just leave it like this. They got the Texas oil money, man. And all yep. the alumni are engineers. So yep. that should tell you right there financially. I think they're going to be fine. My, see, my so uncle that included. Is kind of, that's kind of part of what I'm saying about LSU. LSU thinks they have money and they think they have all this stuff. And they do to a certain degree. But name a legitimate Power 5 school right now that doesn't have the money, the resources, the wants, the expectation to win. Like, for example, Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker just left Colorado to go to Michigan State. Michigan State is one of the most improved teams in the country. Why the hell would Mel Tucker leave Michigan State? Which, by the way, I think he either played at Michigan State or he's an alma mater. That's his alma mater. I can't remember exactly, but he has a relationship with with, uh, Michigan State. That dude ain't leaving Michigan State to go to freaking LSU. But I want to go back to what we were saying when they hired Ed Ogeron. LSU couldn't get the coaches that they targeted back then, and that was before the FBI investigations, the sexual allegations, the Title IX problems, the money laundering stuff. I mean, dude, they have so much shit. Nobody even knows what's coming out of all that stuff. Why would I sully my reputation as a good, you know, like a, some of these, like a Billy Napier, we'll talk about Billy, but why as, as Billy Napier that has a sterling reputation, would I go stick myself in that situation and have to deal with the fallout of these people that are not even necessarily tied to the football program that is going to make me look bad. I mean, some of this stuff Ed Ogeron had nothing to do with, and he became the face He's of the problems. The, getting the wrath, yeah. So the the top the reason we brought up LSU is is you know obviously talking about who's going to replace Ed O. Billy Napier's name has been on the list. You're not going to avoid that with what he's done at this program. He's 45 minutes away from LSU. You're not going to avoid Billy Napier being in that conversation. For those of you who don't believe me, Billy Napier is going to get an interview. He will be interviewed for the head coaching position at LSU. However, Billy Napier will not take it. Billy Napier, well, I don't think he's, Billy Napier won't even be offered. I don't position. think he'll be offered. You, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, offered. I'll tell you why LSU can't swallow their pride enough to offer the job to UL's head coach. Did you can't? Oh, they don't. Well, I mean, what, what, what do you want? What, I mean, look, what do you want to say? You're going to, uh, the, the ooh la la coach. We had to hire the ooh la la coach to improve our football program. Right. They will never not admit do that. It. Now, the reality is, and look, this is, this is not me being a UL guy, but the reality is, is he could win a championship there. He's that good. Um, but I don't think they offer. I think there's guys like Dave Aranda. I think James Franklin's mm, going to get a look. I'm, I'm not, I'm not leaving I Baylor think, if I'm Dave Aranda. Uh, I'm not leaving Baylor. Ooh. Mm. Well, if, if the Big Twelve wouldn't be sinking, I would say I'm I'm probably with you on that, Matt. But with the Big Twelve in flux, I'm jumping Still. to the SEC if I have the opportunity. You, you're well, you're gonna you're gonna go to Baton Rouge too. and deal with the downfall. Well, he's remember he's been there. That's a good point. He's coached there, and so he he knows the area. I'd rather I'd rather stay in area. flux. No, he knows the area. He knows he knows Baton Rouge. He knows the culture already. I mean, he is now he's. He's kind of like a Saban. He's all serious. He's all business. I think if there's someone who can fix all of that, I think Dave Aranda's a, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think he's a great choice for him. Um, you know, but, I, I see a guy like Luke Fickle. He'd be a good pick. Um, you, know who, you, know who, you know who I really see? 
I see somebody who's got a lot of baggage of their own who was in the SEC at one time. I know where you're going with this. Who could really use a redemption story. Does he coach at Liberty? I could see Hugh Freeze taking this job. He would do fine there. He would win there. I really could. I could see Hugh Freeze being the next head coach at LSU. Now, I do think Luke, uh, uh, I do think Fickle, and I know James Franklin's name's been thrown out, but James Franklin is from Pennsylvania, so I don't think he's going anywhere. Pennsylvania's his home. I mean, that Penn State job is his dream job. Now, this same guy brought Vanderbilt to two straight years of top 25 rankings. So, I mean, he is kind of a miracle worker himself. So I think he would be a good pick. I just don't see him leaving Pennsylvania. But I think a Dave Aranda, I doubt they would go after Hugh Freeze, but it would be a good pick. I just don't see them offering Billy. I, I think he would get an interview. I just don't see them offering him. And and if he and look, I mean, he could win he could win over there. I think he could win over there, but I, I just I just don't I don't see it. I want everybody to sit and close our eyes and imagine Billy Napier in purple and gold. And when he's asked about our program, he calls us Louisiana. I want everybody to imagine that he'd get fired. It would would be, the irony would be so thick, but look, it's not going to happen. I mean, I think we're being a little coy with it. We know that Billy's not going to be offered the the job. It's never going to happen. They should offer him. They're just, not a well-run organization, so they won't, but they're not going to offer him. Job security is huge for the Napiers, and that's not just Billy. His family values job security. Listen to any interview he's ever given when he's talking about this particular topic. He goes out of his way to say how important it is uh, for job security. He goes out of his way to say how much he enjoys working for Brian Maggard. This guy doesn't know Woodward from Adam. He has no idea. I mean, Anytime he's going to move on at some point, I think that he's going to probably end up somewhere where there's some relationships already built. That's just my own personal opinion. But we already know money is important, but it's not everything to Coach Napier. We know that there's certain kinds of people that he wants to associate himself with. I don't think those kind of people exist in Baton Rouge. I just don't think in a million years, he's going to go to Baton Rouge and deal with that and sully his perfect reputation, especially look, and this is, this is my own opinion. This is just me extrapolating out. Nick Saban's not coaching forever guys. And I'm not saying that he's going to go from Louisiana to Alabama, but what I am saying is that he's going to position himself in the best way possible. I think to get that job at some point. And I don't think going to your rival well, it's not really a rival for Alabama, but it is for LSU. Going to your rival is the best path to do that. That's just my own opinion on that part. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I, I've never thought that Billy Napier was going to wind up in Baton Rouge. Um, again, I think he's going to get an interview as a formality. Uh, but he's not going to be offered the position. I don't think he wants it. I don't and think he, he has wants to, to be he has to interview. If he gets the opportunity, you have to do it. You ha- it's right. part it's part of climbing the ladder in college football. So it's just like the, the other jobs that he interviewed for, South you know, Carolina and look, it's just part of the deal. You have to take those interviews. So even do, if he 100%. goes to Baton Rouge and does an interview, everybody needs to just relax. He'll be back in Lafayette by lunch. It's fine. Let's talk homecoming. This has been a this has been a sore topic in Lafayette today. Um, Louisiana's homecoming game next Saturday with Texas State. 
was moved from a 4 p.m. kickoff on ESPN Plus to an 11 a.m. kickoff on ESPNU. 11 a.m. games do not bode well in a in a tailgating rich community. They just don't. I mean, what, what time are you supposed to get out there? 6 a.m. Yeah, another opportunity I mean, to not tailgate. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not going tailgate for an 11 a.m. game. I'm not. Well, I don't think they they don't bode well for any G5. I will I will roll right. in. I will roll in at 9:30. See the Cajun walk and then walk my butt into the stadium. Like I'm just I'm that's way too early for for me to get out there. And it's it's way too early for most people to get out there, especially people with kids. Especially in the fall. Because Josh, you know this. Kids are playing soccer, kids are playing football. And when do they play? Saturday mornings. And and I'll say one of the good things about all of our weekday games is that I haven't had to have any issues with conflicting soccer games and football. So that's been nice. But at the same time, dude, you know how hard it is to get kids up, you know, seven, eight o'clock, get them dressed, bathe or not bathe, uh, fed, uh, ready to go. I mean, there, there's no, dude, it's hard getting me up dressed and fed before 11 o'clock. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about with respect to tailgating, like I'm trying to get to the game before 1030, right? There's no way in hell I'm going to have time to, haul all my shit out there and actually do a tailgating session is just not worth it. And I mean, that goes for probably most people. Yeah. Um, I, I, so, man. so here, here's, here's the elephant in the room. Let's talk about this. Is this a case of ESPN owns the Sun Belt and does what they want to do and we just have to deal with it? Or is this more of The administration laying down. You go ahead, Jerry. I'm, I'm going to try to think about a nice way to say. It. I, I I just because because let's be honest. That. Let's be honest. Maybe maybe ESPN does maybe ESPN does own the Sun Belt Conference and can make the ultimate decision. But the, the question I'm wondering is, and, and I'm not saying that this isn't the case. I just as, as a fan, I'm going to ask this question. Did the university put up a fight in this conversation? Well, it's an interesting topic. I mean, and I'll break it down like this. Every year for homecoming, we have the parade in the morning. My wife and I go. We meet up with, you know, she was a Tri Sigma. She meets up with her former sorority sisters who are all of our friends anyway. They go get mimosas. We go to the parade. And afterwards, we go to Twins for lunch, go tailgate, and go to the game at four. It was a tradition. It's a tradition every year. And on top of that, usually the weather like we've seen lately, is really, really nice. It's nice and sunny, you know, low 70s, upper 60s, perfect fall football weather. So that's how we do it. Now, most of the people that go to the games are tailgating already at Cajun Field early in the morning. And so it's, I like that because the 4 o'clock kickoff, even when the game's over, you can, it's still not too late where you can go get dinner with your friends and do whatever, watch some late-night football. The big, the big, what intrigues me about this time change is all of the events that surround homecoming now have to be changed because of this last minute 11 o'clock kickoff change. You know, to your point, Matt, are we tied to ESPN? Look, unfortunately, ESPN basically owns this. And I love, look, I love the contract with ESPN. I love being part of ESPN. I think it's great. 
But to me, as a fan, now this is just a fan. I'm not an administrator. I'm just a fan. I'm going to go back to the old school USL fan and talk about homecoming because, like I said, it's an event. It's an event that fans can, can get involved in. And here's the thing. That type of event surrounding homecoming increases attendance for the game. Usually homecoming is one of the best crowds of the year next to the first home game. So with that and the weather and the setting, look, the Cajuns that they win, they'll be six and one. They'll have a, you know, right outside the top 25, there'll be a lot of excitement. But now you have an 11 o'clock kickoff. You got to rotate the homecoming schedule. And I understand the justification for ESPN picking the time because the justification is, is ESPN, you know, we get some revenue from that, some TV revenue that's generated. But at the same time, um, I'd like, and I'm just curious of how, how much of a difference is that revenue stream to play at 11 a.m. on ESPNU. We're not playing on the mothership. We're not playing on ESPN2. It's on ESPNU. ESPNU, and, and I'm just curious to know also, because they're moving the time slot to 11 on ESPNU, what, what are the ratings going to look like? I mean, are the ratings going to increase that much? Are we getting that much more money? Like, I just hope that the decision that was made by ESPN, I just hope that the difference in revenue that we get out of this is worth it because you've took, basically you've taken away the full homecoming experience that again, increases the attendance. I mean, homecoming again is one of the best attended games every year. So, you know, we might've sacrificed a crowd of 25,000 for maybe 15 or 16,000 now. And everybody's homecoming plans are all thrown off. Now I sound like the, the old school USL fan when I say that, Oh, the old, you know, we oh, we're so used to tradition, no, you don't. but homecoming you, is the one homecoming is the one. It's what it's all about where, where, where it's justified. So I, I'm a little upset about it. You know, I don't know really the decision behind it, but I, I'll say this. We're not the only ones raising our eyebrows at this because Homecoming has been at 4 p.m. outside of last year because of the COVID schedule. Every year I can remember. Homecoming has been at 4 4 p.m. since I was a kid. And I've always hated it. Well, you, but but regardless if you hate it or not, at least you knew. At least you knew, okay, this before the season started, homecoming is at 4 o'clock. Yep. Every time. But now everything, look, again, everything gets changed now. The homecoming festivities, the parade, the the dinners, the homecoming luncheons and the breakfasts and the, everything, it all changes now because ESPNU decided to pick up the game. ESPNU, like, do, does everybody have ESPNU? I don't know. I mean, I most, know, most households do, but, but, yes. but, but let's, let's, not, let's, let's, let's be honest. Not if you don't have a traditional cable package. I have like 10 different streaming apps. Not a single one of them has ESPNU on it. So... No, no, I, I don't buy go. that. I, I have a, I have a pretty strong conviction, Matt. I'm gonna let you go ahead and say what you were gonna say, and then I'll go into me. No, I mean, I I, I want to the the one thing I want to comment is on what Jerry said is you know is there really a difference between ESPNU and ESPN Plus? And to be honest, no, because. Yes, a, a lot of people have ESPNU. A lot of people don't. But honestly, the people that have ESPNU probably have ESPN Plus. So what's the difference? Well, I, I, I want to try really hard to put some context around all of this. But I will say this. We played on ESPN2, was it, last week? So we played on ESPN2 
against App State, a recognizable G5 brand. We were the only game on. We got 300,000 views. Now, some, some of the Nielsen ratings, are it's hard to decipher. And there's, there were probably different numbers, higher numbers than that at peaks of the game. But the average extrapolated throughout the entire broadcast. 300,000 people. That's on ESPN2 when we're the only game on. So you're telling me that ESPN, you picked up the game. We had to move it from four to 11. And that is going to bring more money and recognition to the brand. The only thing I could think is add revenue. That's the only thing. Well, you know what? You know where we can really add revenue is by having our, having some home games for our fans to latch on to. We have three Saturday games this year at home. Now, one of them, I mean, our, this is not just any game. This is homecoming. This is the game. This is where the tradition takes hold. And this is where the people fly in from all over the country to attend this one game and all the old Greeks come back and all the old players and all these old, all the people that look forward to this one game. It's this game. And now you're completely changing. Like Jerry said, the experience of the home game, the, the homecoming game, because we want to get some more eyes on the brand on ESPN. I'm sorry, man. That, that I'm not, I'm sorry. I, I, people come here because they want truth. Well, here's some truth. I think it's a bullshit call. And I'll tell you this, the, the, what's going around right now on social media is that, well, ESPN owns us and we didn't have any say so in the matter. Well, maybe that's true, but I can tell you this for an absolute fact. When Scott Farmer was the athletic director here, I know for a fact, he turned down ESPN U games. I know for a fact, he said no to certain times when ESPN insisted on those times. I know that's for a fact. So I'm not trying to point fingers at anybody, but I don't buy the whole line of we had absolutely no say-so in the decision. I'm sorry, I just don't buy it. Maybe I'm wrong. But I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm being told by people inside of the administration after they read some of our tweets about what's going on. I'm being told that certain areas of the administration were told 4 p.m. game as early as yesterday. So it was already decided for other people, you know, departments that are responsible for getting game day events ready to roll. Okay. Four o'clock. And all of a sudden within a matter of hours today, it's been changed to 11 and they're totally screwed and running around trying to figure out what they're going to do. Let's bring up another thing. Alumni is huge. The alumni association has a big role to play in homecoming. They, they need two weeks to, to organize a bus. What the hell do you think they're going to do with this time change? What is it? Nine days out? 10 days out? When the entire day is basically planned a year in advance? That totally changes everything for the Alumni Association. So I would love to know when this decision was made, how much consideration was put into all those different facets of the game day experience for the fans. And I'm speaking as a fan. Okay, I understand that people listen to what we have to say, and I understand that we have a little bit of a recognizable opinion, and that's fine. But as a fan, we are getting, and I said this on Twitter, this is a double middle finger to us. Because if the decision was made, and and look, I'll say another thing. There has been much said about, let me say this first. I'm a big fan of how we do most things from an administration standpoint. I think that we can promote the brand better. I think that we can reach fans better. There's a few things that I disagree with here and there, but overall, 
large majority of the time, I think that we do it right. And I'm a big fan of Brian Maggard. I've said that a million times. However, there are some times where I feel like the national appeal for the Raging Cajuns brand is put ahead of the fan base, the people that make this thing go from, from a support standpoint. And I don't think that's right. I think, I think that that is, is, it's a misguided way to look at this. I understand that you want to get your, your brand needs to be as recognizable as possible. I get, I know all that stuff at the same time, when you're asking people to come to your games and you're asking people to buy season tickets because that's really what drives the engine for the football program. And that's really how you put money back in the coffers faster than any other way. You cannot get upset when you only sell 6,000 season tickets because there's only three Saturdays of home games. And now another one that is completely changing the fan game day experience because we want to be on ESPNU. Look, I don't have the money in front of me. I don't have the dollar signs. I don't have the impressions. I don't have any of that. What I can tell you is in Lafayette, Louisiana, sitting here tonight, I feel as if the fans were slighted on this. And it's going to be hard to change my mind on that. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head. Um, This is definitely something that a lot of fans are, are are displeased with. I know I am. I know you guys are as well. I mean, like you said, it, it completely ruins what homecoming is. I think there's a fine line. And, um, and real quick, I, and I'll ask this question too, and Jerry, you can answer it. If there was even a possibility of this happening, why not alert everybody? Why was, why was this all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, it happened? I mean, we play in less than two weeks. There, there should be some and, and correct me that says, hey, we may get flexed to ESPNU. We may get flexed somewhere else. Don't start sending out, like, not mandates, but don't start sending out, like, fixed schedules for a 4 p.m. game. Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't homecoming family weekend this year? Not 100% I, I on that. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's family weekend. But I do know there's a fine line. Um, you know, Josh, to answer your question as far as, you know, why don't we know? The problem with sometimes of being indebted to ESPN is that they can change the time on you at the last minute. I mean, today's proof of that. But I do think there is a fine line. I think you bring up a good point in that, look, I understand we're trying to get fan engagement, fan involvement, but with homecoming, something like homecoming that has been a staple for so many years, for so many decades as a four o'clock kickoff with the events surrounding it. You know, I mean, look, uh, the parade, the, the Greeks stay up all night at black and Coliseum making floats. My wife was part of that at one time and they still do it. I mean, and, and so there's so many things surrounding it. And I know you're going to have a portion of the fan base says that doesn't matter. Just show up anyway. Well, in this particular case, I'm not buying that. But you can't. And, and I'm going to. I'm going to. And I'm, we're going to be but, there. But, but we're losing but, the casual fan. They're slipping right. through the cracks. And it's shit like this. That This is responsible for those people just kind of checking out. Because they don't feel like decisions are being made to help their game day experience, their fan experience, 
Look, you got to meet them halfway, man. I'm yeah, not people, saying that they people, have no responsibility. Well, the importance of it is it's all about a game of numbers now because we're trying to increase our fan base. And the ones who say, well, don't don't ask questions, shut up and show up. The problem is that we don't have that. The, the, that's the diehard faction. We're trying to grow our diehard faction. In order to grow our diehard faction, we need to convenience them sometimes. You and that includes your casual four o'clock kickoff. You, your casual fan is not going to show up on Saturday for a multitude of reasons. Number one, kids are going to have rec games, whether it's soccer, football, fall baseball. Parents are going to have things to do Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. Secondly, let's not forget this. It's the day before Halloween. Again, parents are going to be busy. Parents are not going to bring their kids to an 11 o'clock kickoff the day before Halloween. They're just not. I think there's merit to that. But what I would also say is that before we were ever winning football games, Louisiana football was tailgating. And, and let's, the, tail, the tailgating experience was part of our story. It is no longer. Right. No, 100%. It's, it's between scheduling and between, you know, COVID and a few different reasons. But the, the tailgating environment that we once knew does not exist anymore. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing that bugs me. Okay. And, and I get the, the whole TV thing. You know, TV deals power everything in college football. I get that. I miss the days, and don't take this the wrong way when I say this. I miss the days when we were irrelevant. When we weren't on TV every single Saturday. You want to know why? Because the only way you got to see the damn game was by sitting in Cajun Field. Well, that's college football today. I mean, any look, you can pull off a Division three school on your phone on ESPN+. Plus. Um, I think there is a trade-off there. I think, there, like I said before, there is a fine line in the fact that we are winning. So, look, we're on TV because we're winning. There is a demand for the brand. But on the other hand, you know, you, you, can't, you, you still you can't have to leave, make it You can't leave your fan base sitting out in the cold because you want to put ESPN in front of the fire. Well, no, you ESPN just can't, you, Matt. Not ESPN. ESPN. Well, no, the, the ESPN brand as a whole. ESPN. You, you can't. You, okay. you, you can't leave your loyal fan base, who has been loyal through some pretty shitty times, out to dry because you want a couple extra dollar signs. Well, even more importantly, you're courting a new generation of fans. Okay, that's even more important because your loyal fans are starting to not to be morbid, but they're starting to get old up in age and they're gone, buddy. They're dying off. We're trying to court a new fan base, but every time we turn around, there's some kind of TV situation that look, I, I understand the value of being on TV. I don't, I don't think I need to go and expand into that, but Jerry's right. There's a freaking fine line and changing homecoming should be the last option because that is the one Saturday where you say thank you to the fans. You remind everybody how great it is to be a raging Cajun. You bring back those traditions and that pageantry that you need in college football. Still, you still need that to have those fan bases. And I just think, look, if we had any ability to, to say no to that, I think we should have said no this time. This would be the one game where I would say, and I would, and this goes against my philosophy and trying to get rev, generate revenue streams. This is the one game I would have been like, thanks, but no thanks. If we can get out of this, yep. please get us out. Because okay. I think 
I think in this particular case, I would sacrifice a few dollars to be on ESPNU against Texas State. It's not like the 11 o'clock kickoff in 2016 when we played Boise State, okay? You could sacrifice sweating your tail and off to watch Boise murdered. State. It doesn't matter, but Boise State is a lot different than Texas State. Right. I'm no, just saying, but even as, as hot as it was. And that's where this is the one time, and I would never go against um, a decision to be on TV, but this is the one you say thanks, where but I would no have been thanks. like, you know what? ESPN, if there's a way, and I know they're part of these deep contracts and they own us, but I would have even asked, is there a way we can get out of this? 11 o'clock kickoff against Texas State on ESPNU. It's like, can we get out of this, please? And we'll make it up to you. Maybe put us on TV another another time instead. I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, God, if, if, you wanted, if, if you wanted a game to put on ESPNU that day, take State and Southern for crying out loud. I mean, I know they're both awful, but it's a rivalry game. Put, put them at 11 a.m. I'm sure somebody would have tuned in. I think it's a mistake. That's it's, just my it's, opinion. It, it's a huge mistake. It's a huge mistake. I don't. I don't disagree with you. Um, hell, put ULM in app. Yeah. UL, ULM's riding the upset train. Who knows? Maybe they beat app. Well, what hurts is you have an eleven o'clock kickoff on Saturday, and then the following week is a Thursday night game against Georgia State. Yeah. So that's back to back games where your crowd might get affected by that. You know, and that's. Yeah. Then you don't have another game for what three, two or three weeks against three weeks. ULM, which is Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, th- three uh, weeks you don't have another home game. Thanksgiving weekend. I mean, that's, I forgot about and usually that. that's not a good attended crowd either. So we, yep. you know, I, we it's have, a sacrifice we, you make. We have, to be we have ruined a chance of having good attendance numbers this year. That's all I'm going to say. Well, this, and this is coming off of COVID. Yeah, and a ranked season. I mean, we're, our fans are going to forget what it's like to be inside a Cajun field. Yep. And the next year, if if all goes as planned, next year we're all going to be sitting on the visitor side. So, <laughs> hey, that's a that's a good problem. That's a good to thing. Have, yeah, that's oh a yeah, good that's a good. It's still going to be that's a good problem. A to have. Yeah. Anyways, we'll take a break here on Rage and Review, and when we come back, we'll go behind enemy lines with Jeremy Harper of the Fun Belt Podcast and Halraiser He will give us a preview into the Red Wolves before Thursday night's game. Don't go anywhere. Rage and Review. We'll be right back. Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. 
Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. Welcome back to Rage and Review. Matt Miguez, man about town, Josh Giagno. We could spend a freaking hour still talking about that App State beatdown. But, you know, we're going to move on from that. Uh, we, we pray to God they take care of the beach chickens Wednesday night in Boone. Time to stay focused on the Cajuns, though. We'll go behind enemy lines. Talk about the Arkansas State Red Wolves as the Cajuns travel to Jonesboro Thursday night on ESPN2, I believe. Joining us to go behind enemy lines is a writer for HowRazor.com and the host of the Fun Belt podcast, Mr. Jeremy Harper. Jeremy, how's it going, man? Man, it's doing great. Congratulations on that big win against Appalachian State. I, I thought it would be a close game. It wasn't. It was a blowout. Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, I I said on this podcast, and then I'm a I'm a Louisiana writer for UnderdogDynasty.com, and I said in both my this podcast and my article that we were actually going to lose to App by two touchdowns. <laughs> my prediction was forty five thirty one. So imagine and, your surprise. Oh, I was I was floored. <laughs> yeah, we, we took a couple of lumps back here in, in the homeland. Uh, people weren't floored. too happy about our predictions. Well, I mean, if you look at the the Cajuns in their last you know three or four games, all the games have been close. And, and, and if you look at the Cajuns too, stats wise, there's nothing that just stands out. There's no like, I think the uh, the Cajuns are six in passing for the Sun Belt, fourth in rushing in the Sun Belt. They just sort of balance, and they're like that last year. I was talking with a guy named Dusty Thibodeau for the Warhawks. Doesn't have a whole lot of love for the Cajuns, but he was looking deep into the Cajuns last year and said, you know that what, Jerry, they didn't lead in any statistic last year for the Sun Belt, and yet they came in first in the West and was, was just a, a hair away from winning the Sun Belt. How is that possible? And I, The only thing I can come up with, it must be Billy Napier. Well, we, we, we love the guy. Um, we're, we're hoping he doesn't move across the basin. Oh, I'm sorry. What I meant to say was former LS or future LSU coach Billy yeah, Napier. We're, we're hoping we're hoping he doesn't move across the basin. Uh, we don't think he will. We don't we don't think that that's really the the prime opportunity that Baton Rouge likes to think that they are. Um, but you know, Jeremy, we, we're not going to talk about the purple and puke. Okay, all right. I'm good with that. Let's let's talk about the Arkansas State Red Wolves. First, let's actually talk about you. 
how did how did you get into writing about the Red Wolves, doing the Fun Belt podcast? Kind of talk about your journey to where you are now a little bit. All right. Well, uh, I'm an alum uh, from Arkansas State and uh, watched a lot of really bad Arkansas State football. Uh, I came into Arkansas State the year they, they first entered FBS. It was about 15 years of the wilderness. It was just kind of hard to watch. Uh, and then they just started to improve. And then Hugh Freeze took control and delivered a great season. Uh, Gus Malzahn followed that. And I decided, well, this is a time to really get back into my alma mater and start covering these guys. And it's been really exciting. So I, I wrote, too, for uh, uh, for Underdog Dynasty for a while. I, I wrote for uh, The Forgotten Five for a while. I wrote for uh, College Football News for a while. Uh, and then I just went ahead and started my own thing, howraiser.com. Uh, a couple guys, Dusty Thibodeau and Ben Moore, uh, said, hey, you want to do a podcast where we just discuss Sunbelt? And I said, yes, absolutely, because there's really <laughs> nothing. Or there is now, but for a while there's really nothing just to vote to Sunbelt. Sometimes you could find something to vote to Group of Five, but it wasn't really focused on Sunbelt, and that's why I was really interested in doing yeah, no question about it. There definitely hasn't been enough Sunbelt con- content. But like you said, you know, it's starting to build up more and more with, with you guys and then Underdog Dynasty as well. Looking at coaching in, in Jonesboro, you know, Blake Anderson was was in Jonesboro for, God, eight years, <laughs> nine years? Uh, five or six years. Was it yeah, six? Yeah. Okay. It's 2015, um, yeah. 2015, yeah. okay. And he had he had a whole lot of success while he was there. And then, and then there were the last couple of years were, were kind of down. He found an opportunity in at Utah State, went ahead and went with it, and you guys are now under the Butch Jones regime. How has that transition been? What does Butch Jones bring to the Red Wolves that Blake Anderson necessarily didn't? Kind of talk about that transition. Well, yeah, uh, Blake Anderson, he was a real people's coach, like a, a player's coach. You know, there's a lot of times where you would see photographs of players hanging out in his backyard uh, swimming or they go out to bowling things. Uh, there's just a lot of buddy-buddy going on. A lot of times that works, uh, but there is also a lot of problems with just sort of discipline, uh, just on, on, not necessarily off the field, but a lot of on-the-field discipline was just really lax. Uh, we always seem to lead the conference in penalties. Uh, so it, it was just really sloppy. And then the last couple of years of Blake's tenure, he was dealing with a lot of personal things. His uh, wife was uh, dealing with breast cancer, which she eventually succumbed to. Uh, I don't. I think what he was really looking for was a change. I don't know if he was really that interested in coaching the Red Wolves the last two seasons, and that's really nothing against him. Maybe he didn't even realize it at the time, but I don't see how a man can go through his wife uh, passing away and being able to coach an FBS football team at the same time. I just don't see that happening. He needed that fresh start, and we're glad he had it. But he also left our cupboards bare in a lot of way. The recruiting had not been there for the last two or three seasons. Uh, when Butch Jones <laughs> came into the uh, locker room, he sort of stepped back and said, oh, wow, I got a lot of work to do. And immediately he went out to the waiver wire, picked up about 23 guys. Some of them have worked out. You know how the waiver wire works. Some of them don't. Uh, he went on the recruiting trail, did a good job with that. But it's going to take a couple of years. I think some of the things that we kind of expected – from the Red Wolves this year was that the defense would somehow be better. Uh, I think it ranked in the bottom 10 last year. 
And we said, if we can just get 10% difference in defense, we should have a much better season. The defense has just gotten worse. Uh, and most people aren't really blaming Butch Jones for that, where mostly people are just blaming for the fact that we just don't have the personnel like the Cajuns have, uh, like the Coastal Carolina have, and like Appalachian State have, and like some of these newcomers, like South Alabama. Uh, they've just been recruiting very well, and Red Wolves are kind of stuck in 2015. I'm always interested when you have a, a coaching transition and a regime change, how they approach that first year. Um, and I, I see that Butch Jones, like you said, he went out and got a bunch of transfers from the portal. Is there anybody in particular or maybe a group of players that have really made an impact yeah. um, and, and really put their fingerprints on this team so far in 2021? Well, the biggest problems with the Red Wolves was the defense from last year. So he had to put in a lot of work finding guys to fill in. One of the guys he found was a guy from uh, Tennessee, Kevon Bennett who does bring a lot of pressure along the edge and, and does do his job. Uh, we, nobody has any complaints about the, the job Kevon Bennett has done. You know, he hasn't pile up monster stats, but you can see him on the field and know that that's the guy the offense is worried about. So he's been a really good guy to bring. Uh, he also brought in a Florida state transfer, Jake, uh, Jake, James Blackman, uh, the quarterback that started a few games for the Red Wolves. And he hasn't – the quarterback situation has been a little dicey for the Red Wolves. Uh, James Blackman is just a – his style of play is just a little different than the Red Wolves have seen in a long time. And I'm not sure if it's catching on yet. He got hurt in the last game. It's now Lane Hatcher who takes back over. And I think we're just going to see a little bit different uh, play out of him. Yeah, I was always kind of curious about that whole Lane Hatcher uh, situation. Obviously, we don't we don't follow the Red Wolves quite as closely sure. as you do. So it, Lane Hatcher was impressive in spot duty for uh-huh. you know his time in, and I was kind of interested on in how that whole soap opera was going to play out. Uh, you know, I, like I said, when when Butch came in and saw the locker room, he really wanted to change things up right away. Uh, he he did not like the physicality of the team. He did not like the way the team approached games. He did not like the discipline. Uh, I don't know how much he put that on Lane Hatcher, but he decided, listen, there's only, there was only like two quarterbacks in the quarterback room at the time. So he brought in a bunch of quarterbacks, one of them being James Blackman, who had this pedigree out of Florida State. Three-star guy, had, had, some, had some wins, but then also had some baggage, brought him in. And when you see him on the field, when you see him practicing, you see the skills. The guy can throw a spiral, you know, 60 yards down the field, no problem. That's kind of part of the problem. He likes the, he wants those big, uh, big plays, a uh, big play, every play. But, uh, and Lane Hatcher, if you look at Lane Hatcher, he's kind of a shorter guy, uh, kind of an unassuming guy, very intense, but this doesn't quite fit that sort of prototypical quarterback mold. So even though for two years, Lane Hatcher has done everything you could possibly want out of a quarterback for two years. He's put up monster numbers. He wins games that maybe you shouldn't win. Yet there's something about Lane Hatcher that people keep doubting. So now, once again, I called it his third rodeo. <laughs> he gets he gets to be back on the bowl again, and I guess we're going to see how, how that works out. Yeah, that, that Lane Hatcher thing is, is very bizarre from people who don't follow the program because when you look at his numbers, they're outrageous. But one thing, one thing I would ask, uh, in my research about the Red Wolves, I saw that they actually are in the top, 
I think it was the top 35 of least penalized teams this year. Is that directly attributed to Butch Jones? Is it, is it roster turnover? Is it maybe kind of a, a, a lot less of a, a loosey goosey feeling around the locker room? Like, do you attribute that directly to a new coach in a new system? I direct, I do. I do directly. Uh, Leah. If, if one thing that you can point to Butch Jones for this year and say, this was a positive is that he did bring a lot more focus into the locker room. And that one thing that Anderson liked to do, he, he liked taking players that maybe didn't have the most talent, but had a lot of high energy and a lot of uh, emotion and to play that way. You've got to play recklessly. You got to play with, a, with without any abandon. And to do that, doing that leads to a lot of penalties, at least a lot of like personal fouls and, 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 and jumping the gun on, on, on downs. Butch Jones just doesn't, doesn't stand for that. He, 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 he doesn't really, he, he's not there for, for, for all, he's not there for fun. He's really there to win games. Uh, he's really all about business. Now we've got a couple of years to figure out that translates in Jonesboro, but it, <laughs> For one thing that it has shown is that the A-State uh, football team is a lot more disciplined than it's been in a very long time. Jeremy Harper is our guest. Jeremy, in the past, Blake Anderson and Mark Hudspeth had kind of developed a little bit of a rivalry between the two schools. Yeah. Uh, game seems to always be the deciding factor in the West. Do the Red Wolves, do Red Wolves fans still feel like this is a rivalry even though it has been oh for four. yeah we've lost the last three games yeah. with with the cajuns uh the short answer is yes absolutely uh especially old-timer fans they hate the cajuns uh they they if you they won't even call them louisiana i call i call cajuns for louisiana all the time i don't have any problem with that but some people really get upset at arkansas state about that I don't get it, but there is a deep-seated sort of rivalry hatred for uh, the Cajuns in Jonesboro. But I, I will tell you this, guys. You know, when we're doing the Fun Belt podcast and we start uh, interviewing voices from different um, different uh, Sun Belt programs, almost to a T, everybody said that the Cajuns were their rival. <laughs> So it's not us. It's it's everybody. Everybody can't stand the Cajuns for some reason. And I think that's just because there's been just this long continued success uh, at Lafayette right now that it, it's just hard to, to duplicate. It's easy to be jealous of. It's kind of like one of those Elijah uh, Mitchell drives where it's just thundering down, uh, down the gridiron, just constantly beating and pounding you. And there doesn't seem to be any weakness in the Cajuns right now. And I think everybody just views the Cajuns as a rival. You got to beat the Cajuns if you're going to get anywhere in the Sun Belt. And you know what? We are we are a okay with that here in Lafayette. <laughs> yeah, that's the position you want to be in. I, right. I'd love to be hated right you now. You know, everybody you always everybody <laughs> always says they don't want the target on their back. Give it to me. No, they put do. It, I put think- it on my back. You know what's funny is Coastal Carolina is getting a taste of that now. It used to be Coastal for longest times. Oh, those little guys in the teal uh, teal field down there. Now everybody hates those guys too. So and they're kind of like saying, what, us? But, uh, yeah, you get a piece of that. Last season we hosted Arkansas State for homecoming, and, you know, that game was a little too close for comfort maybe. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, you know, we needed a touchdown run from Elijah Mitchell, like you mentioned, with just, yeah. just over a minute left to seal the deal. You know, and, and going into Jonesboro, always a very tough place to play, very uh, a very loud environment in, in Jonesboro. How are you guys feeling going into this primetime matchup Thursday night? Uh, you know what? One of the worst football games I ever watched was a Thursday night matchup between the Cajuns and uh, and Arkansas State. It was 2013. Uh, you guys had Elijah McGuire on that team, if I recall. And it was one of those games where it seemed the Cajuns had possession for 50 minutes. <laughs> yeah, every drive was like, all right, third and long. Oh, they convert. Third and long. Oh, they convert. It was just a horrible, from my perspective, sitting in the stands, game to watch. Now, a games that aren't Thursday night games, that uh, not always necessarily at Arkansas State, always seem very exciting. So I would really like to see this game be an exciting game for Arkansas State fans. But the way that Arkansas State have played in the last five games, it's very hard for me to see this as being anything more than a stats fest for Louisiana right now. And I hope I'm wrong, but I I really see somebody from Louisiana ending up as Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Week. At the end of Thursday night. Well, Matt and I were talking before we started recording, and we said, you know, this is realistic too. Uh, three hundred yards on, on on the ground is our goal. We should we should strive for three hundred rushing yards in that game. That would make me feel good about a win. I want to see a win, and I want to see pure domination on the on the in the running game, based on what Arkansas State has been able to do defensively against teams that are more physical. So we'll see how it plays out, but. Do you guys think you're not very physical? Because you guys look very physical. No, again. no, I, I think we're extremely. <laughs> okay. I think we're extremely physical. I'm saying that right. Arkansas State defensively does not look like a very physical team no. to me. So that's no. going to be that's going to be what I think we should shoot for. Well, you've got three guys, in my opinion, that can hit 100 yards by themselves at each. You know, they can have you can have three guys with 100 yard uh, uh, 100 yard games right away. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Levi Lewis had. A, 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 a monster game himself. Uh, Arkansas State is prone to giving uh, the, the defense anyway is prone to giving uh, opposing quarterbacks their best stats day of the year. So look for Levi Lewis to, to have a great game on the ground and in, in the air uh, against this defense. The only way Arkansas State finds a way to make this game competitive and even win the game is if they find some way to outslug uh, the Cajuns, which I guess is possible because from what I understand, the, if, if, I'm, if I'm reading this correctly, the Cajuns just don't score a whole lot of points. I think you're scoring 30 points a contest. Uh, of course, you'll probably score 50 against Arkansas State, but if Arkansas State can find a way to, to open up that passing game that they potentially have with Lane Hatcher having that connection with uh, those wide receivers that he's had a connection with before. That could be the only way Arkansas State wins this game. Well, the issue with the Cajun offense is that we have these prolonged spurts of not being able to convert on third down, which you know, we've not had that in the Billy Napier era. So it's kind of baffling no. and we're, we're working our way through it right now. But, you know, one game out of six, we've been able to convert on third down. So 
are we back? I don't know yet, but we'll see. I mean, it's something that I'm personally concerned about. Obviously, against App State, we're somewhere in the range of 50%. If we can be 50% on Thursday, I feel great about an opportunity to win. But in that same vein, Arkansas State looks like they're making some some changes on their offensive line because they're trying to get something sparked up. And I was perusing through your preview, which was very well done, by the way. Well, thank and you. I, I saw some names that I should probably be familiar with. And if you don't mind, maybe walk us through those changes on the offensive line so that we can kind of have a, a little bit of familiarity with those guys. All right. Well, essentially, they took – yeah, if you just want to make it as simple as you can, they simply took the, the left guards and turned them into right guards. Uh, and sort of flip-flop that group. The biggest problem with the offensive line is that there's not much consistency with them, and, and apparently they just haven't been able to find the mixture. But the, the probably the second biggest thing that's happened is that their biggest guy, a guy named Robert Holmes, was injured in week three, and he's never, he, he won't be back for the rest of the season. Uh, so the offensive line lost that guy. They also had a guy transfer uh, from the offensive line to another team at the very last minute. He had been running with the starters, so suddenly he was gone. So this this offensive line really hasn't done anything uh, or hasn't really been able to gel very well. So I think what, what Coach is trying to do is mix it up, throw some guys to, from one side to the other, and see if that works. I don't see, <laughs> I don't see what, if there's any... Uh, I don't see anything wrong with that because the Red Wolves have not had much of a rush game all season long, which has pretty much uh, killed the passing game too. Yeah, again, while I was researching, I noticed that Arkansas State was in the bottom third of the con- of the country in rushing. Yeah. It didn't seem like the attempts were all that high either, so I don't know if they have a ton of confidence in the rush game. I thought maybe they were just leaning on Lane Hatcher and Blackman to, to make something happen. And when you well, look what, at your schedule and you see this, the amount of points you guys scored, it doesn't necessarily seem like you have an issue on offense moving the ball. Uh, and maybe you can educate me a little bit, but – and I was going to ask this next question where, you know, Memphis and Tulsa, very competitive games. And, and I, honestly, I'm looking at stats and box scores, so maybe yeah. you can shed some light. But they were very competitive in those games. And then, you know, you go down to Georgia Southern and Statesboro where they got a new coach the next week and lay an egg. I mean, <laughs> what, what has been the missing link there? With Is it just well, what the- a lot of changes going on or, or is it just lack of cohesion or what is it? Well, one thing, the, the run game, it, it, it not only has it not been very good, but we couldn't even use it anyway because we're always playing from behind. Uh, even Memphis, Tulsa, Georgia Southern, there's only been a matter of a handful of minutes that we've been playing with elite. So we're always throwing the ball. Against Memphis, Memphis does not have a good secondary. If you want to beat Memphis, throw on them. So we did. And ended up scoring 50 points on them. Tulsa, kind of the same thing. Now, Georgia Southern doesn't have a very good defense at all, but they can run the ball if you let them. And we were always playing from behind. And somehow we went into that game with Georgia Southern having not had a single pick all year. Got three picks against us. It was like one of those magic moments for Georgia Southern in that game where they had the new coach, had the new energy, had a chip on their shoulder, were sitting at home, wanted to prove something, and they proved it against Arkansas State, and Arkansas State just didn't have an answer for it. Uh, but then against, uh, you know, people look at that game against Coastal and say, oh, you guys got blown out by Coastal. There were actually some pretty good moments in that Coastal game, especially once Lane Hatcher got in and started throwing the ball. 
that you could look at and say, okay, we can see where this team could go if they just had a couple more pieces to make it work. The problem is those pieces aren't available uh, and they won't be available for the Cajuns. So again, the Cajuns could be looking for some a pretty stats heavy day or night coming in on Thursday. And see, that's the danger of just looking at box scores and final scores. You don't know that the story of the game, the games within the games, the small victories that you walk out with, maybe even a moral victory or two. What in the Coastal game stood out as maybe some positivity going forward? I mean, look, you're one in five. Nobody wanted to be here one in five for Arkansas State. Was there maybe a moment or maybe a result or, or something that you guys take out of that Coastal game and you say, look, we can build something off of this going forward? Yeah. Uh, Blackman was injured at the end of the first half. So when he, when uh, he didn't come in for the second half, so in comes Lane Hatcher and immediately throws two touchdown passes. Uh, and that gives you hope that the difference between Blackman and Hatcher in terms of style of play is that Hatcher makes his decisions much quicker. So he, he's not waiting for a play to develop. He sort of knows that when the play is going to develop and, and anticipates it where the receivers are going to be and then has the faith in the receivers to make that play. Blackman was always sort of sitting back in the pocket, waiting, 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 waiting. And he got sacked a lot. Uh, when he was able to complete a pass, uh, he did some very good things. We just don't have that offensive line. So the good thing that I saw out of that game is that we could have a passing attack under Hatcher that could go toe to toe with somebody like uh, the Cajuns. Maybe we, maybe we won't we won't last long defensively, but maybe offensively we can give some people a chance. And that did give me a a, a sort of rush. The second thing that that's been really good this year, which is oh, which is always a little lame to say, but I'm going to say it because I need something. The special teams have been really good for Arkansas State this year. Uh, last year it, they were terrible. We lost a lot of points as a result of special teams. This year, they're doing very well. Again, it might be that discipline that Butch Jones brings. Uh, Jones hasn't necessarily brought Ws, but he has brought the discipline. And you do see that showing up in penalties and in special team play. Jeremy, what's up, man? Jerry here. Hey, uh, Jerry. I'm, I'm a little late to the party, but I want to thank you for coming on. I know, man. Uh, <laughs> duty calls. Um, Your bros have been doing the heavy lifting. <laughs> Well, I gave them a good head start, right? Oh, okay. they're, doing a, they're, they're doing a fantastic job. I just want to say I'm a huge fan of yours. Uh, we follow Thanks. you on Twitter, and we love your content. Um, you know, I, I've had the chance to watch Arkansas State a few times this year, especially last week against Coastal. And I know, obviously, they're not off to the best start. I know Butch Jones has said in the postgame interview that, you know, it's on him, and he, he's, he's going to make it happen. He's going to make it work. Um, yeah. But I know that sometimes in spite of some, maybe some bad luck or a bad break here and there, that injuries play a role as well. Uh, you may have a few key guys that are out and it kind of takes away from that equilibrium of just of, of overall team health. Talk a little bit about the injuries uh, to the Red Wolves this season, how it really has affected them. How has it affected the start um, and what coach Jones and the staff have done to kind of keep it going forward to make well, sure that uh, it doesn't, you know, really collapse with, with as far as health goes. You know, the, on, on the surface, it doesn't look like Arkansas State has been hit with too many injuries. But one of the reasons why it doesn't look that way is because this new administration's a little place, a little bit, a little close to the chest on that. Uh, for instance, Marcel Murray has been, uh, was our, supposed, projected to be our lead running back. 
And uh, we haven't seen him on the field much. And no one knows if he's still suffering from an injury or if he's really not being very effective in, in, uh, in practices. Nobody knows. Uh, but for legitimate injuries, we did mention earlier our main offensive lineman, a guy named Robert Holmes, uh, went down in week three or week four. I can't remember which week. And that caused a lot of problems. It's just hard to replace beef that big, especially when you're a group of five team. Uh, and then recently we just lost a guy, uh, oh, a defensive lineman named, uh, hmm, oh, name escapes me, uh, just suddenly, but he, he's going to be somebody that's going to be very hard for us to replace. We just can't have anybody from the defensive line going missing simply because we just don't have a lot of defense on the defensive line. Uh, we had a scary situation against, if you watch that coastal game, uh, you saw our uh, starting cornerback get carted off in an ambulance. Uh, and he wasn't moving. Everybody thought, oh, my God, they thought the worst. Turns out everything was okay at the hospital. He's back in the 2D. So I guess we can expect him unless it's some more Butch Jones trigger. So really, uh, to answer your question, Jerry, I wish I could say that we've had a bunch of injuries that has led to this. It really hasn't been. It's mostly just a bunch of, of uh, personnel not living up to their to their their potential jeremy you know we, we mentioned it earlier the the red wolves are off to a one in five start and obviously that is not the what the expectation was in in jonesboro especially uh, considering the fact that you guys returned 17 starters yeah you know what what has been the most disappointing part about that one in five start you know and and also what can you relate the one and five start to? Is it the new coaching staff? Is it, is it part COVID? You know, talk about that. <laughs> well, the COVID made everything stupid, right? In fact, I, I, I kind of, I kind of thought, well, maybe the Cajuns aren't as good as they really are, as we think they are because of COVID last year. Turns out I'm wrong. The Cajuns are just as strong as they ever have been. Congratulations. But for us, uh, COVID, uh, if you look back last year, we had a big win against Kansas State, and it looked like, okay, this is going to be a good year. we got a win against Kansas State. Let's go. We ended up with four wins. So with four wins, you come into this season with a new coaching staff and with a lot of, of the same guys, but also with a lot of new guys. I think we had like 50 new guys come in. Uh, but you think the defense just has to get better, right? It, it, I think it ended up 125th last year. It, it can't get any worse. We're at the bottom now. And that was has been the most disappointing. I don't know if you if the Cajuns have had uh, many years of bad defense, but to me, you can live with a team that has bad offense. You know, they go out, they they get a quick three and out or whatever. Like, oh, maybe next time. But a team with bad defense, there's just no hope. No matter how many points you guys score, it's not safe because the defense is just going to give it up. So it's a very, it's a, as a fan, it's very exhausting to watch this team right now. I wish I could be like more excited and, and talk about the rivalry, but right now I just can't. I just want to see a defensive stop. I have to one up you about the defense in 2017. Um, well, actually you were part of the positive side of that because in 2017, even though um, recently you lost to Tulsa, what was it? 41 to 34. I believe it was. Yeah. If I'm not, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Well, What's ironic is in 2017, you talk about defense, and um, <laughs> we played Tulsa, who went 2-10 and 10 that year. Now, we hung 35. We hung thir- I think we hung either 35 or 42 on them, right? 2-10 uh, and 10 team. You know how much we gave up? We gave up 66. 
70 or 66. Or yeah, 66. Yeah. So, I remember that game then, very vividly. And then and then we play you, yeah. and then we score three points. I think we you scored 53 or 50 or something like that. So uh, it, it wasn't 47. It was 47. 47. Uh, who's counting? But it, it wasn't too long ago where we felt your pain there. Um, we tanked but, for uh, Billy. If you can, if you could find some way to help me through this, this sad state of my life, because I really just stare into space <laughs> now, watching the shadows of time cross the walls, oh, hoping man, for a cornerback who could just make a play or let me or let a me defensive end. let me ask you this, Jeremy is uh, is Jonesboro still a dry county? No. Yeah, well, I mean, at least at least at least you can drink your pain away. Yeah, you know, when I went to school there, it was it was a legitimately dry county, and then it slowly became a semi-dry county, which meant that if you paid a five dollar club fee, you could get a drink at certain restaurants. Now they don't even do that anymore. So (laughs) there there are no liquor stores in Jonesboro, but yeah, it's it's not hard to get a drink in Jonesboro. Have you ever been to a drive-through daiquiri shop? I have heard of the legends of the drive-through oh, daiquiri shop. You can they're, you can get so in nice. Louisiana. There, there they're seems so nice. to me now that just seems a little irresponsible and a little reckless. Is that am I am that's I be- off on that? That's because it is irresponsible it is. and reckless. It is. It is. So the the, the law you can, buy, you can buy beer at the damn dollar store here. I mean, the, I mean, the, we just we we have self control. You know, I mean, we kind of have to have a little bullshit. bit of self control. No, we don't. We do not have self control. <laughs> But no, the, the law the law in Louisiana when it comes to drive through daiquiris is okay. as, as long as your straw is not in the lid, it is still a closed container. And yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that law. That seems like an airtight law to me. So as long, the, the, the as, long as you don't, as long you don't put the straw in while you're driving, you're good. But but the trade off is that we have like the most expensive car insurance for the most oh. obvious reasons. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what? I guess you have to pay to play. Yeah. So you're right, <laughs> you're right. You know, you you were just talking about Arkansas State, and you were talking about the the horrific defense because, for lack of better words, it it is just horrific. But, you know, offense hasn't been a problem for you guys. Uh, you guys have the fifth best passing offense in America. Yeah. Talk, talk about the offense. Talk about, you know, how, how it's kind of going to run under Lane Hatcher now with James Blackman done for the year. Um, you know, what, what, can, what can the Cajuns expect from the Red Wolves offense? Well, one thing, Matt, one reason why uh, you see a lot of great passing stats for the Red Wolves is because the Red Wolves are always playing from behind. The defense just isn't there to give the Red Wolves any time to, like, okay, let's run the ball for a little bit and eat up some time. We can't eat up time. We, we need every second on the clock to make up for points. So the, the passing game's a little bit, in, in my mind, it's artificially inflated that way. Now, they, they're, the team has great receivers, except they've been dropping the ball lately. And part of that, I think, might be Blackman just not quite gelling with his receivers. He comes in from Florida State. He, he doesn't have a whole lot of time to build a bond with them. When you see Hatcher come in, you can see right away that there's a rapport, especially between him and Corey Rucker, the, the number one wide receiver for the Red Wolves. Those guys just seem to like have a te- tele- or telepathic uh, connection between the two. So when those two get out there, they're on the same page. I think what you're going to see with Hatcher is a lot quicker decision-making. Uh, you're not going to see the same sort of athleticism that Blackman possesses. James Blackman is just a good athlete. Uh, he can throw the ball with 
grace and ease. He can run if he has to. I wish he did a little more running. Hatcher's as slow as a uh, as a uh, caterpillar uh, truck. You know, he just kind of rumbles around. You think, oh, he's a he's a six foot athlete that he'd have some speed. He's just really slow, but he has gained a little bit of weight. Uh, he used to be really slight. Uh, he gained some muscle weight over the uh, off season, and now he can kind of barrel through some of these tackles. Uh, Blackman just couldn't do that. Blackman, if you touched him, he would go down. So I, I think what we're gonna see from 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 uh, from the offensive offense here is a little more patience in the offense. Blackman always wanted to go downfield. Uh, 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 Lane Hatcher is is willing to do more of the short passes to set up a rhythm and hopefully give the defense a little chance to rest. Uh, so that's what I think you're going to see against the Cajuns. I think you're going to see a, a better managed offense. Uh, I'm not sure if you're going to see sort of the big-time plays, though. You know, Jeremy, I, I hate to do this to you, but I got to go it. back to defense. I got to go back to defense. I'm sorry. Uh, well, we're talking it. about offense. Just when we got a little bit of hope with Lane Hatcher, because Lane Hatcher does scare us. Uh, he is a good quarterback. Uh, we know about him very well. He's a great passer. But back to defense, you know, uh, Rob Harley, a uh, highly touted linebacker, co- linebacker coach from Pittsburgh, comes in with Butch Jones and his staff. You know, it's his first year. I know there's a lot of adjustments having to be made, right? But, you know, um, through the six games, uh, what I guess coming into the season, whether it's personnel or expectations, what would you say? How would you how would you grade him so far? I know we talked. I know they said the defense isn't that great. They're kind of struggling right now. But it is. A, it's a first year defensive uh-huh. coordinator. Would you say that it's a work in progress? You so know, far? yeah. And there are a lot of impatient fans who look at Rob Harley and will say, "This guy has not only not improved the defense, he's made it worse." I, I, I'm willing to kind of step back and give the guy a mulligan for the first year, simply because he just doesn't have his guys. And knowing what was left for him when he came, he just doesn't have a lot of clay to work with. He can't make bricks without straw. So he, he's kind of working with what he can work with. Now, next year comes and you don't see any improvement at all. You can look at Rob Harley and say, this guy's got to go. But for six games coming out of the gate, especially a guy with his, his pedigree, which isn't that bad, I, I think we got to give this guy a little bit of a, of a break, and, and at least a chance to, to to coach some of his own guys, get some of his recruits in there, and make that work. But I'll tell you the truth: there are a lot of people who are pointing at Harley and saying this guy is on very thin ice. I'm not one of those guys, but there are guys that are saying that. Fucking. So, I. <laughs> It's it's been a lot of you know defense is bad defense is bad and look the the numbers definitely bear that out. Is there some sort of hope that you have on defense if there's a strength there? Yeah, we, what would it be? Like we have a couple ends, uh, especially Kevon Bennett, that that can re- can create a little bit of havoc. Uh, and we do have some corners that at times look competent that can get out there. The problem doesn't always seem to be that uh, there's a lot of times where we're playing out position and that could be Rob Harley's fault or it could be a lack of experience. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not much enough of a football guy to truly understand what's going on, but you will see on film a lot of times a kind of heavier running back just sort of sprinting out of the middle 
and just clearing through the backfield and people and, and, and our guys just not unable to catch up. There's no like second, third or third gear in these guys. There's just no, there's no breakaway speed. Uh, I don't want to trash talent, but at, at times it just seems like we're just missing speed. Uh, and maybe that's what Rob Harley's was, was accustomed to working with that pit. He's not getting it at Arkansas state. So again, that, if you're asking me what's the bright spot of the defense, I think we're ranked 129th right now. It'd be very hard to find any bright spot in the defense right now, except that they, that, that they exist and they seem to be all good kids. I mean, <laughs> could, could, couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I'm sure they're said excellent it. student athletes. <laughs> Jeremy, before we let you go, my man, Thursday night, ESPN, uh-huh. ESPN U. Um, UL is listed in Vegas as an 18-point favorite with an, over, with an over-under of 70. Good yeah. God almighty. <laughs> what do you see shaking out in Jonesboro, and uh, what is the biggest key to success for the Red Wolves? What I see shaking out in Jonesboro is that the Cajuns, no matter what the final outcome will be, will have over 50 points, and you guys will love that. They'll be like, oh, we got to 50 points because everybody scores 50 points on the Red Wolves. It doesn't matter who you are. So you're going to get 50 points. Also, you're going to have at least one guy get nominated for a Sunbelt player, offensive player of the week because of the six games we've played, four offensive players from the opposing team have been named offensive player of the week. So it's going to happen for you guys too. I I think what you're going to see, though, is also – for Butch Jones and for the team, you're going to see sort of a reset. We talked a little bit about the offensive line shuffling a little bit. We got a couple guys, new personnel going on on defense. And then we've got uh, hometown hero Lane Hatcher returning uh, behind center. I think that's going to give the team a little bit of energy that's been missing, uh, a little bit of spark that we just haven't seen with James Blackman. As much as I want James Blackman as a succeed. I think what people really want to see is Lane Hatcher back there. The guy just wins. So I, I, I was talking to my brother, uh, Rex Steele, and uh, he is usually really down on the Red Wolves. He said, Jeremy, I feel like there's, there's a chance here that we can keep this game close. He predicted 52-49 Cajuns. Uh, I'll go with that prediction. I think go ahead and bet the over. Uh, I think it's going to be over 70. And uh, I think that the Cajuns will come away with a what I call they'll know that they're still hated by the Red Wolves. Is your brother the inspiration for the Rex Steel comic book? <laughs> I don't know. Is that a Rex Steel comic book? There is Rex, Rex Steel <laughs> Nazi Smasher. Oh shit! Well, you know, my brother doesn't like Nazis, so I mean, that could hey, very well. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> It's this real hatred for Nazis. It's crazy. Oh my God. Jeremy Harper has been our (laughs) guest. Really quick, speaking of comic books, before we get out of here, how was it interviewing old Keith Gill? How'd that go? Oh, you know what? Okay. So I always had kind of a problem with Keith Gill in that I feel like like he's too polite. You know, like like you get a guy like Mike Oresco. He gets out there and says, we're P6, screw it, eat it, you know, that kind of thing. And then uh, Keith Gill's kind of like, yeah, well, we're just doing our best here in Sunbelt World. Hope you guys have a good time. And I really felt like he needed to be a little, had a little more moxie. So when we got him on the show, I kind of expected sort of a weak con- or a meek commissioner. 
he was actually a very personable guy, uh, very effervescent about the Sun Belt, uh, spoke in just glowing terms I wish he would use more often about the Sun Belt, was very aggressive in some of the things he had said about expansion. Uh, he would not admit that he was secretly filmed in, uh, in at Marshall trying to, to court the thunder of uh, the thundering herd to coming. But uh, he, he was he was just very uh, much different than what I expected. Uh, I actually ran into him on the on the sideline and uh, uh, at the A-State game last week. And he's just a good guy. I like the guy. I'm rooting for his success. I'm team kill. I wish I wish he would say more in his press conferences. He's a freaking elite at saying absolutely no, nothing. He's, he's in a constant state of diplomacy, I know. But yes. yeah, I do wish he would he'd be a little more Mike Oresco and just say something like the SEC is weak and sad or just something just a pissed. Well, I mean, Jeremy, right now, with everything that's happened with conference realignment, w- wouldn't you want to move up to a, a conference like Conference USA? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I wish I had I wish I had the audio of Tommy McClellan. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, that was hilarious, that, that statement. And you know what? There was a time. All right, let's admit it. There was a yeah, time like, maybe, like, like 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. or even as early as 2012 when yeah. uh, right. Mutt left and when Western Kentucky left, that I was a little green with envy. Oh, you guys are, are leaving the Sun Belt. Then we, oh, got we were of, too. Yeah, and we got a bunch of FBS people. We're like, okay, this is how it's going to work out. And those FBS teams actually turned out to be pretty good, and they come oh, out to be really good opponents. And a lot of these national pundits are kind of nailing it on the head unexpectedly, saying, Hey, listen, the Sun Belt, you know, they, they, they took their lumps, they bided their time, they took the best teams out, their programs out there instead of the markets, which we now look at as ridiculous. Now we see this tonight that the AAC is digging up these the same old, let's get big market strategy, and you just got to laugh at these guys. They're making the same stupid mistakes. So uh, congratulations and kudos for the Sun Belt. Congratulations and kudos to uh, Carl Benson, which is not something that you'll hear very often from me. And I guess Keith Gill, too. I mean, maybe all that politeness is coming back. to. Maybe he's got the good karma coming. I don't know. No no doubt about it. Jeremy Harper has been our guest. Jeremy, we appreciate you taking the time, man. And uh, we hope for one hell of a football game Thursday night. Hey, good luck with you guys. I hope nobody gets hurt. And I hope that somehow the Red Wolves come out with a victory. So hey, we'll see you then. More, more power to you guys. <laughs> Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate you, bud. Bye, guys. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we will wrap that interview and discuss if Arkansas State is still a rivalry game. But before we go, we'll let the music fade here because this is a this is a somber moment before I hit some more music. If you are an Astros fan, it is currently the bottom of the third, game three of the ALCS, and after a grand slam, and a two-run shot. The Red Sox lead the Astros nine to nothing. Yikes! We'll take a break. Rage interview. We'll be back right after this.
Acadiana business owners, are you looking for custom solutions from local professionals that understand your business needs? Maybe you're looking to streamline your processes, become more efficient, and achieve elevated peace of mind? Utilizing and combined 30 years of experience in the financial and technology fields, the Vaulted Security Team is ready to assist you with reaching your goals. From credit card processing, internet and phone services, website hosting and design, to hosted cloud, even digital marketing and recovery software, Vaulted Security can do it all. Here's a message from Solutions Specialist, Anna Bourgeois. Hi, I'm Anna Bourgeois, your Solutions Specialist, and it's my goal to understand how we can make your business run more efficiently while increasing profits. I'm very passionate about doing business genuinely. In the merchant services industry and other business areas, it's hard to find a partner that you can trust without question. I'm here to change that perception. Give me a chance to show you what true partnership is all about. Contact Anna today at 337-210-4272 or email Anna at Vaulted Security. Welcome back to Region Review. Matt Miguez. Man about town, Josh Jagno. Jerry Bear, Who missed half of the Behind Enemy Lines interview, but that's okay. We'll forgive him. Let's wrap up that interview and give you a quick preview of this game with the Red Wolves Thursday night. Jeremy Harper of HowRazor.com and co-host of the Fun Belt Podcast was our Behind Enemy Lines guest this week. We appreciate Jeremy taking the time. He was very informative on the Red Wolves. Uh, We talked a lot about where their offense is going to go now with Lane Hatcher as the the permanent starter. We talked a lot about how their defense can improve because their defense has been bad with a capital B-A-D. Just bad. Um, and Jeremy told us how he sees the game playing out. He thinks the Cajuns are going to score at least 50. At least 50. Yeah, it didn't seem too bullish on that defense, so. He's too might, kind. Yeah, we might <laughs> we might be running the score up a little bit. Hey, bring I'm it not on. overconfident, though. Bring it on. I'm not. Question here. Is Arkansas State a trap game? I think that trap the traditional sense of the trap game does not apply here. I think it's a letdown game opportunity. Here's why we always look ahead to App State. Some part of me thinks that we've been looking ahead to App State since maybe after Texas. Um, they're off a bye. We are not. We you know some you know sometimes when you're off of a bye, it kind of hurts you because you need to. Sometimes some teams need to play to get better. Maybe the Cajuns actually benefit from not being off of a bye. I mean, look, you hit your stride last week. So, uh, but no, I, I, they have a great offense. They have great athletes on on uh, the wide receiver core. They are dangerous. No matter what the scores tell you, I mean, look, they played Tulsa close. They played uh, Memphis close. They can score points with anybody. Is this where a we run- where, where we have the benefit is where we got to be able to control the ball, run, run, run. 
like I said in the interview, I think 300 yards, it should be our goal. We should 300 yards rushing should be our goal for Thursday. If we can do that, it might get ugly in Jonesboro. Jerry a bear. Is this a rivalry game? Yeah, I think it's a rivalry game. Um, you know, the, the, believe it or not, I got my dad, when he went to school at USL back in the late sixties, um, in his yearbook, Arkansas state was on the schedule. So they've played each other for a very long time. Um, since 1991, there've only been, there's only been two years where they haven't faced each other. I think one was in the year 2000 and the other was in 2003. So they've played each other a total of 28 times since uh, 1991, the Cajuns having a 19 to nine advantage there on the series record. But um, yeah, I would consider it a rivalry game um, mainly because look, they were the original, they're an original Sunbelt conference member in football um, between UL and ULM and, and Arkansas state. So we're very familiar with them. I think the Cajuns have had the upper hand over the past three seasons, but it doesn't take away the fact that there's a lot of familiarity amongst the two schools. Um, and to answer your question about whether or not it's a trap game, it's not a game you want to overlook. I think what, what Josh said was true. You know, how can we avoid this being a letdown game? I think this is one of those games where uh, in spite of playing well last week, you don't want to go in. I think it's more of a game of, can we keep the momentum going? Can we keep our gas? Can we keep the foot on the gas pedal? I think that's kind of the, 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 the type of game this is. Can we continue what we started last week and carry it through the season, carry it through the rest of the season? Um, I think that's more of a question of whether or not it's a trap game, but more like Josh said, a letdown game. So to answer your two questions, uh, yes, I do consider Arkansas State probably, now that App State's come into the picture, I would say App is a rival, but I'm always going to respect Arkansas State as, a, as somewhat of a rival just because we're so familiar with them. And as far as being a trap game, I think it's more of whether or not it's a letdown game. And hopefully we keep this momentum going from what we started last week. People should not forget Arkansas State was a hated rival when Hudspeth was here. And, and before that, some of the best games I can ever remember in conference was against Arkansas State. I mean, you guys remember that Brad McGuire comeback game in the fourth quarter. We came back from two touchdowns. That was that a was spectacular beautiful. game. So yeah. people need to understand this is still a rivalry game. No matter, look, they haven't beaten Billy Napier, but that doesn't mean anything. That game last year was a lot closer than it should have been. And I, I'm just telling you, this team can score, and that always makes them dangerous. And up until recently, like if you look at the, the series um, since the 90s, most of the time the home team usually wins. I think Arkansas State has beaten Louisiana one time at Cajun Field since 1994, I believe, and that was in 2012. Um, the Cajuns, like I said, have had the upper hand, but there have been years where the Cajuns would beat Arkansas State in Lafayette, and then the next year would go to Jonesboro and get trounced, and then vice versa. So... There's definitely, and then of course in 2011 in HUD's first year, the conference championship was in Jonesboro, even though it was an unofficial conference championship, right? When Hugh Freeze in his first year brought them to, 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 or really got them a championship before leaving to go to Ole Miss. So yeah, there, there is a, um, there is a mutual respect for the two programs, but again, looking back on it, there is a lot of, like I said, familiarity with the two schools and. I mean, I'm expecting it. Look, I think the Cajuns obviously have the upper hand, but this is not a team that I would ever, 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 ever take like ever, ever. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it's a rivalry game. Um, I think it has been for a very long time, like Josh said. I think it's become less of one here recently, though, because like we mentioned in 
like we mentioned in the interview with Jeremy, they have yet to beat the Cajuns under Billy Napier. Um, so and, think- and, and also, it's gotten a little less chippy. For yeah. a while there, I mean, it felt like every time we saw them, somebody was trying to break somebody's ankle or getting the business on the bottom of a pile. or It was always something. The games have been a little bit cleaner lately. And, of course, it helps that we, you know, we've been kicking our ass, but it's still, it's still a scary game. All right, boys. You know what it's time for? Can I tell you what? Jerry Bear. You got anything? Is it? Yeah. Man, I tell you what. What an atmosphere last Tuesday night at Cajun Field. 20,066 fans. That was that was the greatest that was the greatest Cajun field crowd I've been a part of in 10 years. It was amazing. I think that sort of magical spark that we've looked for as far as an atmosphere at the stadium really showed up last Tuesday with so much on the line against a good app team. And app has been the standard of the conference, and our fans knew that. And I think it was one of those games where for me personally. I mean, I was yelling after every play. I've never been – I'm, I'm really into it at Cajun games, but I felt like I put an extra level of just intensity and energy in every play. Um, I think it was – I think last Tuesday sort of culminated just nine years of – or seven years of frustration of times when App would come to Lafayette. When you really think about it, this was the first time the Cajuns not only beat App, but they didn't lose to App by double digits. The past three times uh, App State has gone – to Lafayette, they've won by double digits and they've won. I mean, it's been pretty much a blowout each time, except for 2019. Of course, it was close, but it was still a double digit win. So I was really, really proud of the Cajun of Cajun Nation really showing up and playing with, you know, playing with the team almost. They were the, they were the 12th man, if you will. And the student section, man, that play again, I talked about it in the reaction pod, but when Chase Bryce was getting blitzed on third down, tries to toss it to Nate Noel. And then uh, I think it was Percy Butler came out of nowhere, recovers the fumble. We couldn't see it from our side, but to see the student section just roar and react to that fumble recovery, that brought back memories of when I was in the red zone on the rail. That's how we used to react. So give a props to the student section. And I just want to say, man, I tell you what, that's what I'm talking about to the fan base. That's what we mean by expectations. After the game against South Alabama, You know, people were saying, well, we're four and one. What's the big deal? Why are people complaining? Because we weren't playing to the standard of Cajun football that Billy Napier, his staff, and that team knew in that locker room what they were capable of. And they showed it last Tuesday night. App State's performance. We beat App State at their own game. They beat you in the trenches. Well, guess what? It was Louisiana's night to win the trenches and win at the line of scrimmage. It was Louisiana's night to also, also, see the potential of what Levi Lewis can do at quarterback. Now, everybody talks about Levi going 21 of 29, and he did this, he did that, and his percentages were great. Statistically speaking, Levi didn't really have the best game on paper, but he played the best game as a starting Cajun quarterback probably since the bowl game in 2019. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about expectations. I'm not asking to beat teams by 28 points each time. I'm just asking to play the brand of Raging Cajun football that we know we're capable of and what gave us the preseason top 25 ranking going into this season before that Texas game. And guess what? I think this team has finally found his niche. And man, I tell you what, I cannot wait for the the second half of this year when the Cajuns go in and take care of the West and get into that conference championship. And it all starts on Thursday in Jonesboro, Arkansas, guys. That is my segment for the night. 
And I tell you what. Beautiful. Quickly before we before we move on to the next topic, uh, some breaking news out of Statesboro, Georgia. Former Georgia Southern football standout John Wesley Kennedy the third has been reported missing by local police. He was last seen Sunday around 1.30 p.m. leaving his apartment off of Kessler Avenue in Garden City, Georgia. Now, those of you who might not recognize the name, because he went by Wesley Kennedy when playing at Georgia Southern. He was a running back who was phenomenal, tore our asses up a couple times. Um. He's been missing, like I said, since about 1.30 p.m. yesterday afternoon. Um, so, obviously, still a developing situation as he has not yet been found. Uh, so, definitely praying for the for the Kennedy family for, for that. Um, you know, one thing, one thing I will commend the Sunbelt Conference on is we might hate each other on Saturdays, but uh, we, we, we come together... Any other time? Yeah, it's bigger. It's bigger than um, than just a football game at times. You know, uh, regardless of the team you pull for, everybody has you know uh, their own personal lives that you know uh, they live by. And I think um, in this particular case, we hope that the Kennedy family can find him. And uh, our thoughts and prayers are with them in this tough time, and and uh, as well as the Georgia Southern family as well. Uh, Cajun Nation has your back, and let's hope he comes home safe and sound. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. That's uh, that's definitely a difficult situation to deal with, guys. Cajuns in Vegas. Cajuns are an eighteen point favorite Thursday night over the Red Wolves, and with an over under of seventy. Region Review is three and three against the spread this year. Josh, do the Cajuns cover? Well, I know everybody was mad at me for picking the, the the App State Mountaineers to cover last year, or not cover, but beat the spread last week, and uh, I was dead wrong. And trust me, everybody reminded me how wrong I was, so not good. But, hey, 18 points is a lot of points in conference, especially with a team that can score points in a hurry. So, yeah, that, that 18 points could be tough to swallow. Uh, I don't know if I could – I don't know if I could lay 18 right there. I wouldn't touch it. Again, you play Arkansas State, and you just never know. It, it, it's it's. Yeah, I mean, for I'm a little bit of context, is last year we were fourteen point uh, fourteen point favorite at home, and we won by seven with a minute to go. So. All right, let's quickly let's quickly do a Vegas recap of the other three Sun Belt games this week. Coastal and App, Coastal minus four. Either one of you touching that? App State nope. plus four. Nope, not okay. touching it. Texas State, Georgia State, Georgia State minus ten and a half. God damn, ten and a half. I don't know, man. That's tough. I think uh, it's a home game for the uh, for the Panthers. Yeah, but Texas State's been playing well lately. I think I'm gonna take the Bobcats there. Okay, Jerry. Not touching any of it. South Alabama, too unpredictable. South Alabama and UL Monroe. South Alabama minus thirteen and a half. Good. Not touching it. Not touching it. I wouldn't be touching it with the way Monroe's been playing right now, especially since it's a home game for the Warhawks. Yeah, I think I'll take ULM. 13, it's 13 and a hook? Yeah. Yeah, ULM. Oh, 
Interesting, interesting, interesting. Cajuns in the NFL real quickly before we wrap up this episode. Can can we send a quick shout-out to Robert Hunt? For getting Dominating. To, for getting to play across the pond. Yeah, pretty cool. How cool is that? Yeah, Nice. He got to, he got to play in London on Sunday against the Jaguars, uh, albeit in a losing effort. But still, I mean, you get to go play in the UK. He dominated, like you said. Um, let's see who else can we talk about. Elijah Mitchell had a bye. He was in Erath this weekend for Erath's homecoming. He was. I saw it. Funny thing about that is I saw Shane Vallow at uh, French Press this weekend, and he had on a, a Eli Mitchell jersey for the 49ers. It was pretty cool. Shane Vallow, if, if you guys don't know this, shout out to Big Shane. Did y'all know that he cooks, like, a lot? Yeah, man. Check out his, uh, his social media platforms. He his his TikTok is wild. It's wild. Um, shout out to that guy. Shout out to Elijah Mitchell. Uh, get, getting back from injury. Uh, he'll, he'll pick back up this weekend. Elijah McGuire is back in the NFL ranks. Practice squad with the Chiefs once again. Uh, congrats to that guy. And congrats to Nick Ralston. My man. Dude's on the 53 man for the yeah, Dallas Cowboys. As much it's a really as I, cool story. As much as I hate to say it, the Cowboys are reeling right now. They look to be pretty good. They are insane i hate to say that because i just as a as a saints fan i despise the falcons and i despise the cowboys um but yeah nick ralston poised to hopefully do some big things for the boys um kevin dotson i mean doing what he does in pittsburgh that that's no surprise that's that's about it, huh? Tracy Walker, I mean, doing what he's been doing for a couple of years now. What's what's new Just there? Just taking care of business, Tracy, yeah. man. Dude, like I said, I said this before, but what a cool career he's made out for himself in Detroit. Hopefully he'll get out of Detroit and go to a team that can compete sooner or later. Right. But, uh, yeah, Tracy's awesome, man. All right. Uh, last, last topic. Give me a prediction for Thursday night. Go ahead, Jerry. Prediction for Thursday night, Jerry. Okay, let's see. Well, I like, um, I think coming off the big win last week, I don't expect it to be a 28-point win, but I do think Arkansas State's playing with pressure. Uh, they're playing with their backs against the wall. It'd be a good statement game for them to turn it around. I just don't think it's enough. Lane Hatcher coming back scares me a little bit because he's a great passing quarterback. I think he's going to get his. He might throw a touchdown pass or two. But as long as the Cajun offense continues what they're doing, I think the defense is going to make enough stops. Um, This is a great opportunity for the Cajun run game to continue what they did last week. It's a great opportunity for Levi to go over the top again, as long as the offensive line did what they did last week as well. So I don't think it's going to be a 28-point win, but I think it's going to be just enough for the Cajuns to come home 6-1 and and pretty much you know, have one foot in the door and clinching the West. I like the Cajuns 38-21 final score. Josh Yagno. Well, um, I, I I think we got to stay on the field on third down. I think we got to run the football. That's really, I think that's the game right there. 
if we can do that, we'll win by three scores. If we can't, uh, we won't. But it's just still a very big possibility we go to Jonesboro and don't come home with a win. I'm telling you all, this game is a little bit scarier than people realize. There's still a rivalry. They still hate our guts. You heard Jeremy. They hate us. Hate is a very powerful motivator. They could score points. We've seen Lane Hatcher personally do some things to, to our football team. I mean, everybody knows what he can do. Uh, I think we'll win the game, but I don't know what the score is going to be. 49-14. Jeez. Montreal Johnson has a career night. Levi Lewis plays well. The defense forces three lane hatcher interceptions. I wish I had all those con- all the confidence that you guys have. I'll take it. 49-14. Cajuns over the Red Wolves. Thursday night, 6.30 ESPNU. ESPN 1420 as well for the local radio call. That's going to do it for this episode of Rage and Review. We will come at you Thursday night with a post-game show. And then we will spend next week continuing the conversation about homecoming. We'll talk more of the on the field. Then, then the off the field. We'll go behind enemy lines. We'll keep we'll keep the guest secret for now. I know who it is, but we'll wait to tell you. Thank you guys for listening as always, and you know the drill. <laughs>